And did you did you actually need the eye patch, or was that just for you know if you wanted to look like Blofeld? I needed it, not like because it was um, like a gross hole in my eye that needed to be covered up. Although it was kind of red, but it was never like gross to look at. So it wasn't cosmetic, uh, and it wasn't for the cool look. I needed it because the vision out of that eye was so weird that there, I, I, there was no other way that I could see, like to read or watch TV, because my brain couldn't so process. Too, yeah, too disruptive. It was way too disruptive. So I used the, an eye patch for at least a month for stuff like reading and watching TV. And then I started by like not using it for TV. Um, and now I don't use it for anything, but it's weird though. Like if I close my good eye, I can't read my computer at all, but that's partly because of the eye is just not good, but it's also the case that my prescription is no longer valid. So I actually have an appointment. I'm going soon to get a new prescription for the bad eye. Um, but right now, like as we record the show, I'm wearing my glasses and the lens in my glasses is, um, I mean, is this interesting? <laughs> <laughs> the lens in my glasses <laughs> is, um, I don't even know. Is this interesting? It's, it's fascinating. I think, uh, I, I mean, I, I mean, we can, or we can talk about baseball <laughs> or our kids. Long story short, See? really what, what started the whole saga for me was that last year the vision in my left eye started getting um i thought blurry and i just thought it meant that i needed a new prescription and i was also having trouble reading with my left eye which i attributed to being 41 and i thought well i'm i'm getting presbyopia i need you know reading glasses but only for my left eye and i talked to my regular optometrist and the gist was that you really can't go for like bifocals or whatever you, you know you want to call them until both eyes need them that your brain doesn't really process it right if one eye doesn't and my right eye still didn't um so he said really you know it's i know it's a pain but you know this is getting older it's you'd be better off just reading with you know letting your right eye dominate as you read and so i did um and then for distance viewing i got a new prescription and it was a lot stronger and for years and years and years i mean like really i mean honestly since i started wearing glasses my left and right eyes had more or less the same prescription like usually my right eye was a little bit better meaning it it didn't need quite as strong a prescription um but for most of my 30s they were identical and i you know like when i wore contact lenses i didn't even have to keep track of left and right i had the exact same lens for both eyes no um, that's good so then that's a, that's the sweet spot it was oh, those were yeah. the golden years yeah. of me being yeah me, i used i had that for a while but no not anymore me being able to see yeah. um so last year my left eye prescription got a lot stronger and my right eye actually even got better. He's, you know, he said that sometimes happens when you get to be 40. So I actually got a new prescription where the lens in my right eye was actually a weaker prescription than what I'd been using, but the left eye got stronger. Um, and then the months went on and I realized, you know, just a few months after having been to him and being kind of pleased with the, you know, corrected vision, um, that by December, my left eye was, everything was blurry again. Distance was blurry. Close up was blurry. It just wasn't good. Um, and so it just seemed like a mystery and nobody couldn't figure it out. Like even making, a, I got a new stronger prescription and it was really strong, like worrisomely strong because it had gotten so much worse since July. Um, and turns out uh, I had a cataract, which was really hard to diagnose because they couldn't really see it. it um, and 41 is super crazy duper young to have a cataract. So it wasn't even on the list of things that they suspected. Um, 
But like Indiana Jones, it's not the years, it's the mileage. Exactly. <laughs> uh, my right eye has no signs of a cataract, uh, which is also most people don't get cataracts until they're in their sixties or seventies. And like 55 is considered young for cataracts. Um, but the younger you are, when you get a cataract, the faster it worsens, which so being super crazy young 41 to have a cataract, which is why like my uh, vision went from, Hmm, this kind of is a little, maybe I need a new glasses to, wow, I don't see so good in the course of a year. Um, Cataract surgery is routine. It is like going to the dentist, supposedly, although it was terrifying to me. Uh, and the retina detachment was, wasn't was like a botched surgery or something like that. It happened like a week later. But it's like a one in a thousand complication from any sort of eye surgery that once anything goes in. Because cataract stuff is all at the front of your eye. It's stuff with the lens in the very front. And the retina, obviously, is all the way in the back. But anytime anything gets swished around in there, there's a small chance that a little bit of the fluid can get behind the retina, and then it makes it uh, come off the eye. So I had it a, seems The stuff that they do with eyes just seems insane to me. Yeah, it's crazy. It seems like to me you have to be a psychopath to like... I think all surgeons sort of have to be a little bit like a psychopath, like a little bit de- sort of... Det- <laughs> I do. I mean it. You have to be a little bit detached from humanity to 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 yeah. to to have that de- not be repulsed by the idea of cutting open somebody even though you know you know you have to have this rigorous logical mind where you know you're doing good for the person by doing this thing that your instincts tell you is is not good yeah so anyway that's you know for people who've been wondering how in the world I had the retina detachment <laughs> it was I had cataract surgery which it was in fact successful like the lens implant they put in to replace the cloudy cataract lens is in perfect shape. It's just that like one in a thousand or one in 500 or, you know, some really, really 99% small number of um, people who have cataract surgery then have a retina detachment. And it turns out I was one of them. So anyway, that is also why my glasses for my left eye are so weird because they were really, really strong because at the time we were trying to, you know, counteract the cataract. So anyway, I don't, I don't really see so good out of the left eye. Yeah. But I have been I have been nearsighted since like grade school, basically. And yeah. then now now in the last like five years, I've started to lose that, too. <laughs> so so not only am I going to need I mean, you know, I'll pretty soon probably need to have some sort of I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, I don't know if they make bifocal contact lenses. Uh, they do. I think they do. Right? They don't work so good, but they're kind of weird. Told. Yeah. 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 So I guess I'll just have reading classes. Yeah. And you do weird things. They do weird things where they they will give you like two different contacts, one for each eye and let one eye be kind of one eye see close and one eye see far. And you leave the office and you think, oh, this is never going to work. This is horrible. But if you give it a week, your brain kind of kicks in. But it's yeah. like the long story short is that nothing – once you get into this – and you know, forget the retina detachment. But once you're in that situation where you're doing stuff like that, you just never just see like you used to do. Like, <laughs> no. Even though I've been no, nearsighted. Those days are over. <laughs> even though I've been nearsighted since uh, teenage years too, with contacts – to me, contact lenses were magical up until I was 41 years old where I would I, – I never had any discomfort with them. I always found them to be like – you spend 30 seconds in the morning and 30 seconds at night and all of a sudden your eyes are just perfect. And I could yeah. see everything close and everything far. And it was like, I had 20, 20 but, vision in both eyes, but they didn't, but they didn't used to be so good until they came up with disposable ones. Before that I had originally had hard contact lenses, which were a goddamn nightmare. And then after that, they, they, you know, they came up with the plastic with the soft plastic ones. Uh, but 
you were supposed to just like you got one pair. Yeah. And you were supposed to keep them and you were supposed to do this like crazy complicated maintenance. Yeah, I remember that. Stuff with it. And, and I, they never it never they never got completely clean. And I was always getting like eye infections and my eye was <laughs> when I had hard lenses, I my one eye was just watering all the time. So I <laughs> I would do that thing where I would just like I would take one out. And so I would walk around, I would spend most of my day with just one contact lens in. Uh, see see really well out of one eye and like crap out of the other one. Yeah, that's probably like you being just ever so slightly older than me because I yeah. missed the hard ones. But when I first started wearing them as a teenager, I believe I used to have to wear them for like six months at a time. Something like that. And at yeah. the end of the cycle, it, then I should say it was a little a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, it's, you know, it, and it's it, it all the other thing, too, about the retina detachment is it seems to be like a serious it's. A sports injury like it takes it literally takes like six months to a year to completely recover and it's only been i'm gonna say two months for me um and it is getting better it's you know it definitely is improving but it's like very very slow and gradual we should start a pool on what uh what's going to happen to you next year because yeah, you've had your, you've had your thumb and uh now your eye no it was my it wasn't my thumb it was my middle finger was your thumb? No, it was my middle finger. What? It was your middle finger? Yeah. Really? Oh, I thought it was your thumb. Yeah. Maybe it was just because the bandage was yeah, the, the, maybe the brace. The yeah. brace made it look like it was your thumb. Yeah, because like my okay. thumb was sticking up. I thought you were like, like they had taken your thumbs. Like someone had tried to cut your thumbs off. Yeah. No, I had a bad winter. I really did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'll, sorry, I'll talk to Kafasis. We'll see what, we'll, we'll get a pool going. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's got to be something, right? Yeah. I, you know, I, I went to a doctor though and uh, had like a full checkup because I thought, you know, this is, uh, well, actually, I think I had to because I think they weren't going to do, there was some kind of surgery I was going to have or they said they I needed it. Um, but I've, you know, like I got my heart checked and everything. So looks like I'm good in that regard. I was all, I had such a bad run. I was like, oh, I bet I'm going to have a heart attack too. <laughs> well, now you have the watch. That'll keep, uh, yeah. Keep keep track of your heart for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. It's hard to, for me to explain. People ask about my eye, and I know that they mean well, and I don't want to bring everybody down and complain. Um, but it is it just requires a long explanation. And the problems with my vision are actually very hard to explain, too, because I've always just assumed that when you have bad vision, everything is either cloudy or not cloudy, or blurry or not blurry. Um, and it's not blurriness. It's, it's like... It, it's so hard to explain it. The vision out of my left eye is like d distorted is the word, but the way it's distorted is sort of like, um, uh, I do, I need corrective lenses to help focus, to get the picture right. But like, if I take my glasses off, I have no lens on it at all. I can see at a certain close distance because I'm nearsighted. I can see in focus, but the image is distorted in weird ways. Like the best I can, the best analogy I can think of is think of a movie projector that's in focus, but it's projecting onto a stucco wall. Oh yeah. Uh, like a really stucco-y stucco wall. So like, you know, circles don't look perfectly round They're They look like yeah. hand drawn, like by somebody with like a very sharp pen, like a scratchy pen. There's like a, there's an image editing filter like that. Right. I mean, there's some, there's some like in Photoshop and in Pixelmator, there's like something where you can do to yeah. like almost like stained glass or something. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and, but it's, you know, it is definitely improving, but it is improving at such a very slow pace that it's, it's hard to tell on a day to day basis. You know, it's like, I imagine that it's sort of like if you have like, uh, like Adam, uh, as Adam Wainwright, the pitcher, the the guy, one guy for the St. Louis uh, Cardinals, Wainwright had a he, he tore his Achilles tendon in his ankle the other day, which is a terrible injury, terrible, terrible injury. So his Achilles is torn, um, like a full year to recover. I'm sure that you know he's probably already had the surgery, and it's like I'm sure like two months from now he's still going to be ten months away from being recovered. So you know his ankle's still going to feel like shit, and like a week later it's going to. F- it's going to be improved, but it's still going to feel like shit, you know? And I feel like that's what my vision is like at this point. But also though, like if you have an Achilles tendon, you, you know, he's going to, he's expected to be able to pitch again. Like the, the unfortunate truth, I don't want to bring everybody down, but the unfortunate truth is I'm never really going to see right out of my left eye again. Yeah. But on the other hand, well. <laughs> on the other hand, I am right. eye dominant. I do. I, I, I wasn't going to talk about this, but it's funny because I, I do, <laughs> but I do have, ever since I brought it up and made it public at all, I've been inundated with emails and stuff like that from readers and listeners who are all of them very, very genuinely concerned and wishing me the best. Um, in the grand scheme of having serious vision issues, I'm incredibly lucky because I'm right eye dominant and my right eye is uh, still 2020 with corrected vision. And uh, shows no sign of cataract. Their, their best explanation for why I got a cataract so young was probably that I had some kind of injury. Could have They said it could have even been like as a teenager, like playing basketball or something, uh, some kind of trauma that damaged the tissue around the lens. And it just, you know, takes a long time. But it, the fact that I was so young means it probably wasn't like age related. Um, and so it's, you know, very unlikely. Uh, even if I do eventually get a cataract in the right eye, you know, I can go to a specialist, uh, you know, uh, who would be like super duper extra careful with the cataract surgery, um, knowing that I have a, you know, obviously have some kind of tendency towards the retina issue. And there's no reason to expect that I would, you know, suffer another 99.9% chance of success, um, you know, that I'd be on the wrong side of that again. So, you know, and so being 2020 in the dominant eye, it's, it's funny because that's the other thing too, about my vision as I recover from the thing, like two months later, my brain is clearly getting way, way better at, um, uh, just sort of ignoring Mr. Left eye. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's like, you know, it's he's no longer, he's no longer part of the team. Yeah, it's like they're well, no, he is, but it's like it, it's okay that he's not so not really contributing so much, you know. <laughs> I'll tell you, it was weird. It see, that's the thing though. It's like and and it is a sign that I'm getting better. And it, it's this combination of the eye getting better and and again, my surgeon, I was just there like a week and a half ago or two weeks for like my eight week follow up, and he said he was very pleased. And doc he he's he's been sort of a he's great. He's I think a literally like maybe one of the best retina surgeons in the world. Um, uh, so I'm super lucky to have him, but he's also very, very clinical. Like he's, you know, he, like before I even went into surgery, he was like, he was, he was like, you know, your vision's never going to be the same again. <laughs> he's been very, very, he's like set realistic, very under promise over, over deliver sort of doctor yeah. all along. And he said, he's very, very pleased with, you know, what I, where, where I was. Well, at. that's what you want to do. I mean, you, 
you don't want to go in like telling people they'll be they'll be good as new and uh, and then they come out and they're not. Yeah. It's like uh, if, you, if you come out and it's better than you expected, that's great. But if it's worse, then that's not so good. But it's been weird. Uh, like I said, it's a relatively slow pace of improvement, but it's still only been eight weeks. And it's been this weird graph of like, what's better? Just keeping the eye patch over the left eye and just being one eyed with a 2020 eye or trying to make the best out of this mixed picture. And it's been weird because at first it, I was using the eye patch for almost everything. I even took it, you know, like when I went to the supermarket and stuff, because um, it was just the vision out of the left eye was just it was just not it was you know the the gas bubble made it you know just made it completely useless. I mean, it was effectively blind. You know, it's like when you you I finally understood what it meant to be where you're not blind like everything looks black. You you see color and and stuff like that, but it's completely and utterly useless at any distance. Um, but having to being monocular, only having one eye that, you know, everybody knows that you don't have any depth perception with both, without both eyes. Um, but like experiencing it all day was crazy. Like I would just bump into things. It was, I had to be like super, it really turned me into like an old man because I had to be like super careful every time I put a glass down on a table, stuff like that. I would, I was constantly spilling stuff. I would go, um, and take like a pitcher of orange juice and try to pour myself orange juice. And I, if I wasn't completely concentrating on it, boom, it's it just splashed all over the counter. I'd be like, Oh, it's crazy. And it's gotten better though. like, now I don't, I don't wear the iPad for anything, even though, uh, the left eye isn't like helping me read. But even though, even though the vision is bad, your depth perception is okay. Yeah, that's the thing, is that having yeah. the left eye contribute. The left eye is absolute. So it is contributing. So it's doing something. Yeah, yeah. Like, and I can do things like if I throw something up in the air, you know, I can catch it and stuff. I can see, like, I can get that sort of depth perception. So your juggling career is not over. <laughs> no. <laughs> ba- babies and chainsaws. <laughs> Back at it. Good thing there's nothing going on in the world of stuff we usually talk about. I guess this is better than having you on and talk about baseball, though, right? Yeah, right. Nobody likes hearing us talk about baseball. No, but anyway, everybody out there has been wishing me good thoughts. Thank you, thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. Uh, I don't mean to be too down about it. You know, it's it's you know, it's not a good situation, but could be so much worse. And I really do still have tremendously good vision out of my dominant eye. So it's all things considered, it's not bad, and it is getting better. It's good. At this point, as of this week, and this is sort of new, this will be the last thing I say about it. It's the effect of my combined both eyes open vision is sort of as though um, there's like like vapors in the air. Like uh, maybe like what it would look like, maybe not what it would look like in real life. Cause I guess like, you know, like when you have like a gas oven and, you know, it's like what, what it would look like in a cartoon if there was a, gas leak, right? Like everything is clear and I can see stuff, but it just looks like if I'm, if I was within like three feet of you, it would just look to me like there were, it looks to me like there's just a little bit of waviness in the air between us. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you look normal, but it looks like there's wavy vapors in the air. Living in the desert. Yeah. Well, on that up note, why don't I thank our first sponsor? Um, uh, well, let's do Fracture. Our good friends at Fracture, you guys know Fracture. They're the outfit where they take your photos, you send them photos, and they print them directly on glass. Uh, 
Well, Mother's Day is coming up right now. Listen to me right now. Listen to the show as it comes out. You'll have time to get your order in. Go there. Your mom is going to love this. Your wife, uh, any of the mothers in your life, what more would they like to see than loved ones, family members on really nice pictures? This is like the surest thing sponsorship uh, of the of the year. Get anybody who you need to get a gift for Mother's Day. Go to FractureMe.com. Get some pictures of the dog, the kids, you, your family, them, anybody who your family would like, you know, anybody in your family. Print them out. Trust me, this is a great gift. Uh, I've already ordered some. I know from last year it goes over great. It is a just it, – it's a surefire, can't-miss Mother's Day gift. Um, they have all sorts of sizes. They have little ones, big ones. Um, and it, it's just a tremendous, tremendous product. It's a really cool thing. And obviously if it's like a gift, it's the most important thing is what the picture is of, but I'm telling you firsthand, I know from having given these, um, to my mom, to, uh, Amy's mom, that it's also a talking point where they see it, they thank you, they love the picture. And then they immediately ask, wait, how did you make this? This is amazing. Because even people who aren't geeks or nerds, they look at these things and they're like, you could just tell this is not like a regular printed photo. What Fracture does is they print the photos directly on the glass. It's right there. It looks like it's right on the surface of the glass, like a retina screen. Um, there's no frame around it. You can just hang it right on the wall as an edge-to-edge, no bezel thing that just hangs there. The The packaging comes with everything you need um, to put a thing on the back so you can hang it on the wall, uh, to prop it up like an easel if it's something that goes on a mantle or a desk or something like that, depending on the size. Uh, it's all there, right there in the packaging. The quality is just can't be beat. Um and it's just a really, really nice thing. So where do you go to find out more? Go to their website. It's FractureMe.com. FractureMe.com. And use the code DARINGFIREBALL. All one word, DARINGFIREBALL. And you'll save 15% off their already excellent prices. So my thanks to Fracture. Go there right now. Pause the podcast and get your mom uh, a gift. Or your wife or whoever you need to get for Mother's Day. Not a bad idea. No. I might do that myself. No, me, I'll wait till Sunday morning. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you laugh. You laugh. I'm laughing. <laughs> What's open? <laughs> What's open? I got you, I got you breakfast. <laughs> well, honey, what do you say we start going to church? <laughs> I got us in. <laughs> Good seats, too. Yeah. Right, right next to God. <laughs> I even buttered it for you. <laughs> Don't get up. Oh, man. So what's going on this week? Uh, well, I just got my watch. Ah. Yesterday. So that's interesting. Yeah. I, I feel like right now the topic du jour isn't really the watch itself, but it's almost like when people are getting them and when they were promised them. Yeah. It, so mine, mine came, well, you know, early. But I mean, my wife ordered it for me because... <clears throat> I was at fifth grade camp with my son, so uh, which is a whole other story. But uh, she ordered it for me, and she ordered it like seriously, like four minutes after twelve is when she pushed the button. And uh, my date, my initial date range was between May thirteenth and the twenty fourth, based on that. 
purchase time, which to me seems ludicrous. But that, that's, I guess that was what the <laughs> the level of availability was, particularly for the, so I got the Space Gray Sport one, which I think was a fairly heavily purchased. And it was um, 42? 42. All right. Yeah. So we, I clearly, I again, Apple isn't talking about this and they never will, but it seems very clear by looking at like Twitter and any kind of forum or like Mac rumors or whatever, where people are talking about this, that there's a definite pattern to which watch you ordered, which strap it has and which ones are being made and shipping out. Um, so we did, we bought three, one for Amy, one for me, one for Jonas, um, you know, which I, you know, which again, it's ridiculous buying your kid in fifth grade a goddamn <laughs> Apple Watch. But he's a good kid, and he, you know, hasn't gotten anything new in a while. And it, I write it off to, you know, a work expense because I'm fascinated right. by the fact that he's fascinated by it. Um, so I ordered the the expensive black link bracelet one, the space black. Oh, it's the space. Oh, you, okay, okay. Um. Amy got 38 millimeter Milanese and the one for Jonas is the 38 millimeter space black. As far as I can tell, and we ordered them boom, boom, boom. For us, it was 3 a.m., but it was right when the store went live and we used the iPhone app. Um, people who are smart, really smart way to, if you really thought that it made a difference to be like at like 30 seconds in instead of a minute in, the smartest way to do it, which I wasn't smart enough to do, was to save a favorite. And you, yeah. you were like three, it was like three taps. It was like three taps and a, and a, uh, and a, what, what's it called? Touch ID and you're, you're done. For me, it was, you know, it was like four taps. It was like, I want this. Um, so I greedily or <laughs> ordered my own first. So mine, <laughs> mine was ordered at like well, one, one minute in within 45 seconds. Then I ordered Amy's and then I got Jonas's, but all three orders were placed within three minutes. It was like three Oh three and all three orders were in. And I also got myself a sport band, the black sport band, 42 millimeters. And Amy wanted a black sport band, 38 millimeters. Um, so I got those too. And I, I think those orders were placed, you know, I don't know, by within five minutes, I was done with all of it, but I ordered those bands separately. The only thing that's shipped for it to us so far is Amy's 38 it's millimeter Amy's. Milanese. Yeah. None of the individual, I thought the bands would just come, you know, cause that seems like the tease, right? Uh, you know, you yeah, know. right. You'd get the bands first and then, aha, uh -huh, you didn't get your, <laughs> and I know that yet. Pe people definitely got the chargers first. People who ordered a second charger definitely got them like days. Yeah. Before I saw those on Twitter. Because that's what torments people. And again, it's right. easy for me to say that it's tormenting because I've got the review unit from Apple. So it's not like I'm watchless. Um, but it seems like it, as a basic rule, the black sport band is somehow in low production across the board, whether you bought standalone bands or whether you bought a watch with a black band. And oh, that's I, interesting. And I, you know, obviously, it, and yours is black, right? But yours yeah. didn't ship yet, right? No, okay. I got it. I mean, I got it yesterday. So okay. it came It came a lot earlier than they said it was going to come. It came, well, at least two weeks earlier. And, but, um, but you know, I didn't, I did not get it. I didn't get it until five days after they were supposed to be delivered. Yeah. And I saw somebody else. I saw a couple of people on Twitter who got steel, the steel watch, but with the black band built, you know, like as the built-in configuration who got theirs like yesterday or today. 
Um, and it seems like they were the exact same boat as you, where they were promised, you know, like May 13th or something like that. And here it is, and it came. Hmm. But no word on any of our other ones. I, I think I checked earlier today, but no, none, you know. But it seems as though it isn't even, it's hardly even worth checking because it's like by the time the status changes on the order, it's like on a truck from FedEx at, yeah, you know, yeah. and your doorbell. That's, a, that's about what happened to me. I think I got. I got an email before I was checking. I was checking fairly regularly, but I got an email uh, before I noticed it on the website. Noticed that it changed on the website. Yeah, and it said, and it said it was it would be here the next day. Yeah. Uh, for Amy's, it was because um, I've got my Amex on Apple Pay, and I I'm not really a notification. We can even talk about like how many notifications you get and for what, you know, and I feel like the watch is really making people think about what notifications they get for what. Um, but one of my favorite features is if you have your Amex in Apple pay on your phone, every time your Amex gets charged, you get a notification telling you who charged <laughs> it and for how much. And I don't know why, but I really enjoy that, uh, you know, and, and 99% of the time it's like 10 seconds after I just charged something. Um, but I kind of find it like reassuring, like, uh, I don't know. It's like, I don't know that I've ever been ripped off at a restaurant where I've signed a bill for, you know, $87, um, and been charged more than that. You know, because you just hand, yeah. you know, you put a tip down and you hand it and you go like, and I never like go back at the end of the month and look at my bill. And yeah, I used to do that. I don't do that anymore. Right. It just, like, became too, it just became too much to do. And I, I was never finding anything. Right. But I love the fact that like, I'll go outside and, you know, maybe we're walking home and then I get a buzz and I look down and it says, you know, that the restaurant just charged me $87 and it's yeah, fresh yeah. in my head because I just signed the bill and I know that that's right. You know exactly what it should be. Um. And with Amy's watch, it was like, I got, it was like late at night. It was like, I don't know, like 11 o'clock at night. And it was like, you've been billed $600. And it's like the next morning at like 10 o'clock, ding dong, there it is. <laughs> so I guess I don't really have to check. I guess I'll just get the Amex alert, you know, when, when the next watch ships. But it does seem like, it seems like, I mean, I guess there's some people who, who haven't gotten theirs uh, at the beginning of their promised window. But as far as I can tell, nobody has missed their promised window uh I, well what about those ones that the developer ones weren't the developer ones that's a I, weird I thought, story. yeah i thought i yeah that was kind of weird to begin with but i thought i saw some of them say that they had not gotten them despite ordering them but did they get them yesterday i don't know because I, was, I don't remember who i don't remember who it was Whiskus ordered one of those and I couldn't yeah. remember what they, what the promise was. The promise was promise delivery by the 28th or promise shipping by the 28th. But Whiskus didn't get his on the 28th, but he did get it on the 29th. Okay. Okay. I don't know maybe, if there's anybody. Maybe that, who's was still the maybe that was the difference. But it's the whole story of those watches seems crazy though, because they're obviously so resource constrained. And after they knew that they, you know, that they were so constrained on these was when they made the offer and yeah. It included, like, I think that they, I don't know if well, they, they must have, the, they must have just made a mess of those silver ones with blue straps. Cause that was what, that was all you could get. Right. For the developer one. Right. And that to me contributes to the idea that, that whatever the reason, whether, you know, it, it's like 
factory A is supposed to be making black sport bands. Factory B is making blue ones and green ones. And, you know, factory A had a, a labor problems or an electrical shortage or, you know, maybe like whatever the chemicals are they mix to make the black. They couldn't get enough of them, but they could get plenty of the ones for blue or white or whatever. But it definitely seemed to me like they, you know, could not make those bands in equal numbers. And the fact that they only offered the the developer ones in blue, yeah, exactly. It must seem to be that, that you know, they could make as many of the blue ones as they wanted. It also yeah. makes me think that it's the band, the bands in particular might be part of the constraints, you know, because it's, it, there's, no matter which sport watch you go to buy, it's like you can't just get one. Right, you just know there's no color combination where you can just go to Apple.com and get one sent to you tomorrow. Like yeah. everybody says June, if you bought, no matter what you want to buy right now today, it says June. Well, but but I'm looking at the well, uh, at least the black sport band says you can get it in May. It hmm. avail- well, it says available to ship in May. Oh, it doesn't say, any- it doesn't say anything more, including the watch or just the sport. Band? No, just the sport band. Huh. Yeah, so I so, don't know. Yeah, I don't know. And Tim Cook mentioned, you know, he said something about like the fact that they were able to catch up a little bit over the weekend. Yeah. Like they were able to ship more than they thought that they, you know, they <laughs> found some under a table or something and, <laughs> and were able to ship some faster than what the dates had initially indicated. Yeah, and I I know that there and I know that a lot of it is for competitive reasons and I think part of it is for pride reasons that they just don't want to talk about the problems. I mean like for example, I mean remember the 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 white first white iPhone that like didn't ship for 9 months? Oh yeah. Yeah, that was weird. That was like it, <clears throat> when that was like a manufacturing thing, right? I mean they Yeah, clearly. They there was like the, the, the something was bleeding through like the camera was yeah. Affected because light was bleeding through the white plastic. It was like somehow they could make them, obviously they could make them not at scale because they had demo units that people saw and, you know, people knew people who worked at Apple who had them, but for some reason they could not produce the white ones at scale, like yeah. the scale they needed to sell them. Um, but that was, it was seriously like nine months. It was like close to being like, cause it, I, I know I mentioned this on the show years ago, but Amy ordered that phone and because she wanted to get a white one and it got to the point where I actually don't even remember if we canceled it or what, what we did, because it got to the point where it was like, even if she got it, it was going to be close. It was clearly going to be close to the, to, next. to the next iPhone. I think that's what she did. I think she canceled and just said, you know, I'm actually just going to wait and get the next one because it's ridiculous, you know, to wait nine months. Yeah. Um, so I think there's all sorts of little problems like that. And at the scale of like, the first month it's to be expected that there's going to be some kind of weird problem. Like we didn't expect it, but the black sport band is really hard to make. They keep coming out really dark gray and it's, you know, that's not acceptable. They're supposed to be black or, you know, they're not bendy enough or something (laughs) supple enough. They're nice. They do feel good. That's I think I haven't, I haven't worn, I mean, I, I, I've worn leather bands. Well, actually my last one was nylon. But um, I've mostly worn leather bands for, you know, forever. So I was kind of, I was slightly concerned about how it would feel, but it's pretty good. That's like maybe like the single most common thing tweeted at me as people open their watches. They're like, 
while you were right, the sport band is really is nice. Or, you know, my favorite version is, wow, I thought you were full of shit when you talked about how nice the sport <laughs> band is, but you were right. It's, it's really, really great. I heard from people that went to the tryons too, who said the same thing, or they were like, I really, you know, I could not believe that you were going on and on and on about the sport band in your review. And then I went to the Apple store and I thought it was the nicest feeling one of all of them, including, you know, like the super expensive ones. Have you, have you had watches with metal uh, bands before? Yeah. I've been wearing okay. a watch with a metal bracelet for okay. years, a few years. Okay. All right. All right. Because I did that, I did that for a while, like when I first started wearing like a nice watch, not a, like a kid's watch, and I just, you know, I found the hair, I found the hair to be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really the hair, the hair snagging to be a problem. Yeah, my wrists are not hairless, but they're not like there's no way I. Could well, be I'm not. Yeah, but... I'm not. I'm no. I'm no Paul Cafasis, but. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There must be part of the design, though. It must be like the gross part of being a, a link bracelet designer when you go and test the hair, <laughs> the hair pulling. They must have a. They must have like a a stable of extremely hirsute men that they work with yeah. to to give it a try. Come on over and try this, and then they like start measuring how many hairs come out or something like that. We get like get like Paul, Nevin, Mergen, and Adam Lissagor together, and those guys they they should just run their own run their own uh, right. watch band business testing, testing watch bands. All right. Um, <laughs> so the other thing, before we move on, uh, just talking about the watches shipping, the, the story that broke yesterday, the wall street journal had a report that uh, I think to summarize that Apple has a, discovered a serious production problem with the Taptic engine and that behind the scenes, they had commissioned two different factories to make them one in China and one in Japan, and that the ones from the company in China had uh, a defect, or not all, I don't think it was all of them, but that the, too many of them, way too many of them had a defect such that it, it after some amount of use, it would stop working. Um, and that the ones from Japan don't have this problem, but that means they only have half as many Taptic engines as, or and they, I guess they didn't say half, that's, I, I you know, yeah, because they didn't say what percentage of the mix they can only get them. They can only get them from one source reliably, right? And now they've had to shift their plan so that they're going to get all of them from the company in Japan. But it's going to take a while because the the Japanese maker, you know, wasn't prepared to make that many. Um, and the Wall Street Journal story made it sound as though that's the answer to why the watch is seemingly taking a while to to for uh, supply to meet demand. I I think they're right about the tapping engine thing. They say I mean it seems pretty clear that they've got a source at least a source at the Chinese company. Um and probably the Japanese one too. Um like I don't think that came from Apple. I'm almost certain it did not because yeah. I don't think Apple wants anything like that to come out. Um uh I think it came from the supply chain. But I don't know that it's the only one. I because I don't understand. You know, for example, why haven't I, my standalone bands shipped yet? Like I think there's, you know, that even the bands are taking a while. Like I think, yeah. I and I'm guessing like if you're Jeff Williams or Tim Cook, and that you read the story in the journal that says, well, there's one problem. It's the Taptic engine, and it's this one thing. Like that, that they're just rolling their eyes. Like, oh God, if only, <laughs> if only that was the only problem. You know. So you said you said that you got one 
that had a bad haptic engine yeah, I'm, uh, initially, it, right? From uh, a, a review unit. Right. The review unit that I got the first day, I thought when at first I tried it on and, you know, it was just, you know, just a little bit of a briefing with Apple people and, you know, they should, you know, make sure everything's all right. And, uh, and everything was working and it definitely was getting taps. But I remember thinking at first, wow, the taps don't seem strong enough. I'll have to play with the settings on that. Cause that doesn't feel like I remember it feeling now I didn't go to the event in March cause of the eye thing. Um, but in back in September, when I tried one of the things on that was playing the demo loop, which is a lot, either identical or very close to the demo loop on the ones in the stores. I remember the taps feeling a lot stronger. Um, but I thought, well, I'll play with the settings. And I played with the settings, and it never really seemed strong enough. And I thought, hmm, this is a little disappointing. And then by the nighttime, it seemed to me like it was like, I don't know that this is working right. I may have to, you know, it's already too late. Um, but in the morning, I'm going to have to look into this because I suspect I, I really – and it made me think I was crazy because I always – in the back of my head, I always thought that maybe the review units that they give people were like super units that they like <laughs> – you know, I wouldn't put it past Apple that they would go like when they give you a, a someone like me or you know or Pogue or anybody who gets these review units that they like cherry pick like you know they open up the phone and they're like this is perfect this is you know this is beyond our you know measures of quality for what we ship out to everybody but you know this is the best of the best but apparently you know it's not and I do remember when I got my review unit watch that it was sealed like the box and everything was all sealed up which doesn't mean that they didn't so, reseal it you know what i mean yeah. but it was definitely sealed but i think it was just like a watch that came out of the early production runs um and it sounds exactly like what the journal described where it it worked i'm not quite sure i could be misremembering that it was too weak the first day that may or may not just be me not being used to it or not having the link bracelet tight enough. Cause I, I eventually I took out one extra link of the link bracelet than what I had the first day. And I think that was part of it. Like it's a lot more comfortable to me. You know, I think it was too loose the first day too, but without question, the second day by like 11 o'clock in the morning, it, it just wasn't tapping at all. Hmm. And it sounds an awful lot like, um, what they're describing, which is, I think, hard to test because it seems like the sort of failure where any kind of test you did, that's just like, hook it up, see if it taps, see if, you know, get a notification, see if it taps. Okay, good to go. Then it's, you know, that's a problem. Like it wasn't yeah. like a dead unit. It was a unit that failed very quickly. Yeah. Well, that's interesting to know. I mean, to see if that, <laughs> because that to me implies like maybe there'll be issues over the longer term. Right. Like how like are there any that are going to fail after 30 days or 60 yeah. days or something or, like that? Or a year. I mean, you know. Six months to a year. Yeah. And I heard from at least one reader who I know, um, definitely trust, uh, whose sport, Apple Sport Watch definitely had a dead taptic unit, took it in the Apple store, and the genius was, you know, knew, you know, had, hadn't heard it. And he said, like, he emphasized, you know, they were like, wow, that was the first one, you know, first time they've heard of this problem. Um, uh, but they verified definitely wasn't tapping and gave him a replacement unit. His replacement unit, which I thought was interesting too, like how did they do that? It was just the watch, so they took his straps off, just gave him oh. a new watch and put it in, which I think, I mean, you know, who knows what they're going to do once supply isn't so constrained? But that makes a lot of sense to me that each store got delivered a certain number of just plain watches without any straps without for any anybody straps. who has problems. Um, and you know, like I wrote yesterday, it seems like nobody's blowing this out of control other than the Drudge Report, but. Uh, <laughs> 
It like I don't think it's true the line that a couple people put out, like Recode and a few others, that none of the units left the factory because it seems pretty clear that I got one as a review unit. Um and somebody else did. Right, and somebody else did too. But it seems incredibly rare. Because it does not, it seems to me like the sort of thing where even if like one out of a hundred people had the problem, you you know, it would be like the bend gate thing. Yeah. Like, I don't think one out of a hundred iPhone sixes bent. I think it was way less than that. And you can see that even if it's like a half of 1% or, you know, whatever, one in a thousand, how quickly something like that can escalate. Um, so I think it was cra- like a crazy odd coincidence that I got one as a review unit. Except maybe it's not so crazy because the review units went out so much earlier. And so maybe they weren't, Yeah, they hadn't caught it then. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm thinking. Yeah. Um, you know, but it's it, interesting. I didn't realize that they would, I mean, I, I just assumed that all this stuff comes from China now. And I was kind of surprised that there's, they're getting a lot of some of these parts from Japan too. Yeah. I did think that was interesting too. Although I guess I'm not surprised though. Cause you know, I know that the Japanese still make an awful lot of stuff, you know, that they're, it's, you know, made in Japan is still a big thing for a lot of their consumer electronics. Yeah. Although I guess I, I just didn't, I didn't know how much of that was really that, uh, you know, like, like we do, <laughs> like, like Apple made in Cupertino, but when it's really made in right. China. Yeah. I'm assuming, I'm assuming the Japanese source from China as well. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting, but it, well, I thought particularly that, for particularly for components. To see, that's the thing. I would have think that maybe okay, maybe they're doing the final assembly in Japan, right. but they're getting most of their components from right Chinese China. factories. But yeah. who knows? I don't know. But yeah, yeah, Taptic engines coming from Japan, at least for yeah. now. Um, I don't know. What anything else on the shipping? Uh, you know, I mean, it was funny that the. UPS guy asked me what color I got. Oh yeah, <laughs> I always like I always like that when they know they know what's going on. They've got their finger on the pulse of products coming out. You know what? I guess I guess the other thing I wanted to make on that was with Tim Cook's t- comments on the an analyst call about you know the the demand. I I do think I, I I always say this, and I think people just don't give them enough credit. They're they're tight lipped, Apple. Famously, but what they do say is usually very true. Like they don't, you know, it's worth listening to the words, even if you think it's a little vapid. And I feel like Tim Cook's comments about any time you make—I mean, this isn't a quote; it's a paraphrase. But any time you make the first generation of a new product, you expect things like this. Um, And I think things plural is important because I really don't think it's just the Taptic engine. I think it's just a, yeah. I think it's just a nightmare shipping these things the first time. Um, but it really does make you wonder at how good they've gotten at making phones because of how the ridiculous number of iPhone six and six pluses <laughs> that they shipped right away, like you know, like immediately on day one. Like how many yeah. of them went out? Yeah, it spoiled me. I mean. That, and that's why I was so surprised that when my wife ordered it at four minutes past midnight, that she, that it still was going to be like a month. Yeah. It seemed like it was going to be a month away. I, I think that, and I think, I think you're not alone. And I think John Moltz, you're a reasonable man and, and a patient man. And I think some of our, you know, friends out there on the internet are not as reasonable and patient. <laughs> um, but I do think that that has fueled the, the, the frustration that people have that they don't have their watch yet. You know, that, that yeah. it's like, 
I'm sure that there's parts of iPhone six and six plus that, you know, obviously are, you know, the cameras are new and touch ID has improved. It's a new touch ID sensor. Um, even compared to the five S, you know, so there's new components, but it's like components, even if they're new, they're the type of thing that they know how to make and they know how to source yeah. and they know how to get big quality quantity. Whereas, you know, I mean, who even knows? I mean, like the digital crown, like there's no other dingus in the universe, like the Apple watch digital crown, right? Maybe that thing's hard to make, but it's like well, nothing. The, it's like nothing the haptics, else. The haptics are relatively. Yeah. New, well, it's like, unlike so, anything else. Right. Yeah. Um, so it seems like that would. Yeah. And I think reason. you kind of have to take him at his word that this is really to be expected, you know, and if there's anything that they blew, it was the, that saying emphasizing that April 24th date. Right. Right. Because I think a lot of people thought that they would be able to line up. If they didn't get one pre-order, they would line up at the store and get one instead. It is possible. It's possible that that was their plan at the time. And maybe this Taptic engine thing, I mean, because the Taptic thing really does sound like maybe they, for at least a while, they're only going to be able to make half as many as they expected to. And, you know, and that they, just as a rough ballpark, maybe the half that they decided to make all went to the pre-orders and the half that they were maybe going to put in retail stores were the ones like, well, sorry, Angela, you know, we're going to, you know, <laughs> well, you know what I mean? There's just a lot of people blaming Angela Arntz for this, which is baffling to me. No, it's yeah, right. It's baffling to me too. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. It's a, I mean, if you have anybody, you should blame Jeff Williams. Yeah, Exactly. I, I honestly, I hate to say it. I really do. Cause I know there's gotta be somebody out there who listens to the show. Who's got the, the blame Angela angle, but I really do think it's sort of a, a like a, a misogynist. No misogyny might be the wrong word, but a bias against women. Like I don't, I really do think that there's some, some of the tweets I've seen like calling for her to be like held responsible. I've seen people seriously, like not like spit coming out of their mouths, raging mad, but like seemingly dead serious who say that she should be fired over this. Uh, which is crazy to me. And I really do. I hate to say it because I don't like to, I try not to like knee jerk, see biases like that, but I really don't think they'd be doing that if, you know, Ron Johnson was still on the job. Yeah. I, and I don't quite think it's just because she's a woman. I think it's this combination of her being a woman from the fashion world Mm -hmm. and that the people who are blaming her are, are the people who also think that Apple is making a misstep by stepping away from the, of being a more technological company and more of a fashion company. Well, it's, and it's also just like she's new and it's the first launch. Right. For her first big product launch that she's involved in. <laughs> right. But it's like, I don't think that the problem was. No, that, the problem is not, it's not the setup in the stores. That, it's not the that, training of the retail employees. It's, or that she forgot to fill out a form. <laughs> You know, and then like, you know, Tim Cook, you know, is like, well, I guess, oh, she doesn't want any for the retail stores. I guess she thinks there's no demand. So <laughs> she knows, I guess she knows what she's doing. She was CEO of Burberry. Yeah. So I guess, you know, I'll just let that go. Yeah. And then whoopsie, there's no watches in the stores on April 24th. <laughs> no, I don't know. I can't believe that there are people who blame her. I mean, there are no, there are no watches for them to put in the stores. And they can't even they can't even fulfill the, the the mail the online orders. Yeah, 
Right. They can't fulfill the orders and there are no watches for the store. So I'm not quite sure. What, so what, what's, what's it, what exactly is she supposed to be doing? Right. And it's entirely, and I've seen people say, well, then she never, they never should have said April 24, but it's entirely possible that when they said April 24 back on March 9th, that they thought they could do it and that it changed. So, yeah. you know, and she's not responsible for testing the tactic engine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let me thank our second sponsor, and it's uh, our good friends at Casper. You guys know Casper. It's a place where you go and you buy um, your mattress online, which I know sounds crazy. Um, hear me out here. Maybe I'm crazy. Could be another good Mother's Day gift. What better way to uh -huh. thank your mom for conceiving you than buying her a new mattress? <laughs> <laughs> think about or it. your or or your wife or your wife right? yeah um honey uh you're such a great mother let's do it again this is what they make they make obsessively engineered mattresses at shockingly fair prices just the right sink just the right bounce they use two technologies they don't make you choose from a crazy variety of different mattress types based on descriptions they made one good mattress technology and it uses two uh, uh, one good mattress style, and it uses two technologies, latex foam and memory foam. And they combine it to give you just the right amount of what one is good for and what the other is good for. They come together and you get better nights, brighter days. You feel great when you wake up because you get a good night's sleep. Um, here's the thing. I know it sounds so crazy to buy a mattress online because you don't even get to touch it or whatever, you know, let alone, you know, jump on it or whatever you do in the stores. They have a risk-free trial and return policy. They give you a hundred days. So you go there, buy the size you want. It shows up at your house in this crazy compressed, like vacuum sealed box, which is a big box. It's probably the biggest package uh, that I've gotten delivered to my house in a long time, but crazy small for uh, a mattress. Uh, you take it to the room and again, listen to me, you take it to the room where, where you want it. And then you open the box according to their instructions. And, uh, all of a sudden you have a mattress. Uh, wow. it is crazy. Their mattresses are made in America. They are American made, uh, really, really high quality stuff. And the prices are so much lower than stuff you see in the, the mattress retail stores, which is really, really a cartel, um, you know, if you haven't shopped for a mattress in years, it is so crazy because you go to store A and even if you're looking at the same brand like Sealy or whatever, um, and you write down prices and you say, well, I think I like that one. And you write down the name of the model and then you go to the next store so you can see what the price is. They don't have, there, there is no model with the same name. Like each store that they sell mattresses to, they give custom names to the mattresses so that they, you can't, like they specifically, the whole product line of all the major mattresses are made so that you can't. Uh, price compare. And then there's all these websites, of course, third-party websites that help you product compare. And they're like the Posturepedic uh, Flippity B is like the, uh, you know, Rubik's Cube Dingus C from this store or whatever the names are. I don't know. I'm not really good at naming mattresses, but it makes it <laughs> impossible. Here's the deal. You go to Casper and it's just simple. One style of mattress, you pick the size and the prices are great. 500 bucks for a twin size mattress, 950 bucks for king size mattress. Now you compare that to the industry prices for a good uh, mattress and it's just outstanding, way under. You cannot buy a good king size mattress for under a thousand bucks. Where do you go to find out more? www.caspersleep.com. 
caspersleep.com, C-A-S-P-E-R, caspersleep.com slash talk show. No the, just slash talk show. Use that URL and you'll save 50 bucks. And I will not tell your mom that you used a coupon code to get her her Mother's Day mattress. But go there, check it out if you need a mattress or a really interesting Mother's Day gift. That box is crazy small. It's crazy small. Well, it's big. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a big box, but it's not, you know, it's not the size of a mattress. <laughs> yeah. When we got ours, the funny thing, when we got ours, uh, we <laughs> weren't home. And because uh, it was and I wouldn't have ordered it if I was ordering it. We were on vacation over the summer. And uh, uh, but it was like they wanted to send one to me because, you know, they wanted me to have one because if I'm going to be talking about it, it's you know a lot more genuine if I've actually I can vouch that the thing is actually a good mattress. Um, so they sent it while we were on vacation and my neighbor signed for it, uh, not knowing we were on vacation. And he had to hold that box for 10 days. <laughs> it was like the worst possible timing. It's a big box for a... a, a yeah, but I got it. We had a pressure washer delivered the other day and it's, it was, the box was about the same size. Yeah. Crazy. Which is, you know, that's not a big pressure washer. Yeah. Uh, what else is going on? Do you see this thing where, uh, another thing going back to the earnings report where, uh, uh, Tim Cook said something about, you know, that he had never, never seen one of those component breakdowns, you know, where the, uh, these guys, they break open <laughs> yes. the Apple product and then they itemize everything they see inside. And then they tell you that it costs, you know, $67 to make an iPhone and that Apple's profit mar margins are, you know, mm -hmm. 400%. Uh, he said he's never seen one that was accurate. <laughs> and I believe again, yeah, which I wouldn't be again. Much. I take him at his word that they're not, they're not, uh, believable and i quipped well, on daring fireball countdown to i supply saying the apple watch cost 67 dollars in three <laughs> two one and lo and behold today i supply came out with a thing that said apple watch i was off by a little they said it costs uh 83 dollars to make and that it's, is that is is that what ihs technology is is that i, supply? I think so i believe okay. that that is okay. uh i supply uh so even though on the analyst conference call which I believe, you know, there are like, like, like the things that Tim Cook and the, the CFO, what's the new CFO's name? Uh, Luca. Luca. Australian. I always want to say Luca Brazzi. No, it's not Luca Brazzi. Right. Um, I can't pronounce his last yeah, name. Yeah. Well, Luca, I'll just call him <laughs> on first name basis. Luca. Luca. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that they are like uh, literally like on the hook for the things that they say. Like those are like, you know, like there's SEC guidelines, you know, regarding, what they say. And so usually they're evasive. And if they say something that's true, it's like, it sort of has to legally be true. And they even said that the margins on Apple watch, at least next quarter, they're only guiding for the next quarter. And so it could be, you know, this could be steered by first generation initial product runs. They emphasize first next this coming quarter, the profit margins on Apple watch will be lower than usual you know, the rest of the companies and the watch. rest of the product. Line. Right. And that includes yeah. all Apple watches, including, you know, let's, let's just assume the edition is going to sell in this relatively small numbers that we assume, but even, you know, like the, the eight, nine hundred, a thousand dollar stainless steel ones, which presumably are going to have higher margins than the 350 and $400 sport models, um, that the margins are going to be lower. Well, I supply <laughs> says that, uh, no, it's going to be the most profitable, <laughs> the highest markup of any Apple product, 
$81.20, they say. And, but the stupid thing is off the t- off the face of it. I mean, they admit that it does not include logistics, amortized capital expenses, overhead, SG&A, selling general administration expenses, R&D, software, IP licensing, and other variables <laughs> through the supply chain, such as electronics manufacturing services provider. So, I mean, our off, you know, it's basically it's the it's like to like those things where, you, you know, the, the human body is made up of like five dollars of chemicals. It's yeah, technically that's true, but you cannot make a human body if you go out and buy five dollars of chemicals. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen some websites though where they claim that you can. <laughs> that's not a real human. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, oh, but there's also oh, I see. If you read down the story a little bit, that eighty-one dollars and and uh, twenty cents. They also add in. They they say it uh, the total cost to produce the watch is eighty-three dollars and seventy cents when the two dollar fifty per unit manufacturing expense is added in. So according <laughs> to them, it costs two dollars and fifty cents to manufacture an Apple Watch. So the thing they I, do that, but they do this all the time. I mean, they do this for practice. I mean, for many products. Yeah, but and it's only. <clears throat> I always find them kind of uninteresting. The I, I, but I can't help but think that with the Apple products in particular, they they know that there's like a uh, what's the word a uh, the the public has a sense that Apple is ripping us off. And, and again, I've, you and I, I think I've talked about this several times that like they play into it sometimes, like when they charge $80 for the USB dongle for the new MacBook, mm-hmm. right? Isn't that 80 bucks? Like that play. Cause that's actually true. That yeah, is not like that, an $80 right? component. Like they're that, that you know, or, well, and they're, they're Ram prices. And like, if you want to upgrade the hard drive on a, you know, on a new MacBook, something like that. Yeah. That's all that, all those, all that stuff is nowhere near. Although they've gotten a lot better on those. They've gotten a lot better on the hard drive. They've gotten better, but they've also at the same time, they've locked down the fact like you, you know, you can't do it yourself right. anymore. You know, whereas you used to like, I used to, you know, be able to get an iMac and say, okay, well, I'm just going to skimp on the Ram and the hard drive. And, you know, a couple of years from now I can upgrade the Ram and upgrade the hard drive. You know, I can't do that anymore. I've always been a little lazy and I've never, never liked snapping ram into place because it never ever <laughs> ever has felt to me it's, as though i wasn't breaking it every yeah. time i've ever done it it's always felt like i'm breaking it and i don't do it i never did it enough to really get good at it you know like i know that there's some people who like um like if you work in it and you work at a company and you you set up a lot of new pcs and you always buy the ram separate or something like that well then you get good at snapping ram in and out and you know what it feels like but every time I bought like a new a new Mac and then would buy the RAM separately, and which I would do because the prices were so ridiculously better, and you never got enough RAM in the default configuration from Apple. I did it, but it always every single time I'd buy a new Mac, I think, well, maybe this time I'll let Apple give me the RAM, and then I'd go there and compare the prices. And I'd be like, no way. Yeah, it's gotten better, but yeah, it's not good. But so they do play into it, and and I remember you and I talking about it. We and we even said like, look, you know it's easy for us to spend Apple's money and say they should just, you know, give people things. But it's like when they had the lightning adapter thing, like they should have just had buckets of those lightning to 30 <laughs> pin things and just given them to people in the store. Just, you know, people come in and say, Hey, you know, my husband has the old phone and I've got the new phone and now our cables don't work here. Yeah. Take a couple here, have a couple of these. 
just something cheap, something cheap, very cheap for Goodwill. Right. Whereas their answer was, well, give us $29 and we'll sell you one. Or maybe it was 19, but either way, it just, it, it made people feel like, so people have that sense and Apple does do certain things that play into it. And I feel like I supplies whole thing with these press releases is just catered to hit that perception, you know, that Apple is ripping us off. And it's like, I definitely think that the USB adapter for the MacBook does not cost $80 or even close to it. Uh, I think there's a pretty stiff markup on that. Um, I I do not think that the Apple Watch Sport costs $83 to make. <laughs> and this, yeah. The other thing that bugged me in this this Venture B piece that you will send me the link to is that uh, this part, perhaps the most interesting component price is the analysis in this ana- and the analysis is that of the battery, 80 cents. <laughs> if IHS's estimate is correct, it seems that Apple spent a laughably small amount of money on the one component that seems to hinder the capabilities of the watch the most. Okay, well, <laughs> that says nothing about what the other options were. Right. It's just like assuming that if they had spent more on the battery, then they would have gotten more battery. Well, there may not be another option, and there certainly may not be another option in that that size. I right. It, so it's it, just it appeals to it's it's just jokily written, right? Like the even the people who bite and then write a story about it are then you know the only people who even buy into it are people who are such facile thinkers that they're subject to like analysis like that. Like who knows, you know, and I don't know anything. Maybe, maybe it literally is an 80, 80 cent component to put that battery in there, but there's, it doesn't mean that it's, it's not like there's empty space that they've left go. <laughs> you know, it's not like if they had spent a buck 60 instead that you'd get two days of battery life. Right. Like, uh, yeah, I just, I doubt that that was, I mean, given they're already, you know, they already seem concerned about the battery life initially, you know, from the, from the beginning, at least they wouldn't mention it. And then they were saying, okay, we are, we, you know, we're carefully saying that they're setting this watch up so that it'll give you a day's worth of battery. I think if they had an option for a bigger battery, they probably would have gone for it. Uh, yeah, I definitely think so. Or a better battery for, for the, or something. For the extra extra 20 cents. Right. Like, <laughs> they, I, I still don't, I do find it like, I, I find it unlikely that it's an 80 cent component because I've bought watch batteries before and like regular watch batteries, the ones that like you put in a Casio or like a Timex cost a couple bucks. You know, yeah. and I know that when you're buying at scale, you could get like, you know, it's different than going into the hardware store and buying one watch battery. But that's a watch battery that runs like a totally low powered machine. And this is a battery that runs like an iOS computer. Uh, so I, I really doubt that it's 80 cents. It just gets me. It gets me every it's time. The, the iSupply thing is like a, such a pet peeve of mine. And I know that I should just let it go, but I can't. I'm trying to see if the Taptic engine is on here someplace. <laughs> touch, touch controller other. I mean, because there's a, I mean, I'm assuming that that piece is, that, that's not a standard component that you can just pick up. You know, there aren't just like 
buckets of those. Obviously, there are not buckets of those things lying around someplace because their supply is constrained because they got a bunch of bad ones. <clears throat> so how do you estimate something that was probably built pretty much specifically for this watch? I, I honestly have no idea. I, I think that they don't even try. I think that they just... I don't even... Well, it's like I can't pick it out here anyway. Right. Oh, ca- capacitive... T- no, that because that's the screen. <clears throat> I don't know. I And every time I write about this, and it's been a hobby horse of mine for years, um, and if I write about it or podcast about it, I always get some amount of feedback. Let me try to preemptively cut you off. Hopefully, those of you who are doing this have, haven't started emailing me already. Like the response is usually from people who like read my site or listen to the show nuanced. And it's not just knee jerk. Oh, I know that that it only costs $40 to make an iPhone and a rim meal. Um, Like my readers and listeners are smarter than that, but they, they always emphasize the, well, they're not, they're not trying to say that it takes into account, you know, the, the factory to build these things or assemble it. And, you know, they're just saying, they're literally just saying what the components cost. Um, and they're not trying to, you know, to put research and development into it. And they're not, you know, that it is fair. But I think even if you take all that under consideration, it still clearly isn't right. Because I just, there's no way to mesh the fact that they're saying that this is the highest margin product Apple makes with Apple saying on a public <laughs> analyst call that it's going to have lower, than, not, not the lowest, they didn't say that, they just said lower than the company's average. So it, right. it it cannot be true that the low and they're saying that the low that's the lowest priced Apple Watch. Well, it could be. I mean, I guess it could be true if you factor in those things that they are, uh, you know, obviously not factoring in the logistics and the capital expenses right. and things like that. I just don't see how this is but useful to anybody in any way. Right. Right. Exactly. Other it's than just, people not. trying to you know muck what's it called muckrake you know. And, and yeah. you know, seed this perception. And nobody ever talks about, like, the eye supply breakdown of the Samsung Galaxy S6. <laughs> um, I don't see – I do not see the Taptic thing called out anywhere here. So it must be embedded in one of these categories, which is just to me – I mean – Right. Because it's a brand new thing. You can't – right. You can't – you can't. I mean, you're obviously just making an estimate. Right. But then, then you obviously don't know. Uh, I didn't link to them yet. Hopefully I will before the episode airs, but um, I saw two stories and I guess I'll put them in the show notes, but that probably means I won't because every time I say that I don't put them in. (laughs) Um, But I did write a note down here. Um, Speaking of components, I saw a thing that uh, the Verge had it. Sony reported their results and they're, they're, you know, looks like the company's doing pretty good and they're expecting the year to be really good. Um, but the thing that's holding them back, they're losing money on phones. And yeah. the gist of the Verge story is maybe it's time for Sony to stop making cell phones because they're losing money on it. And that the comp, you know, the things where they're succeeding, like PlayStation's doing pretty well, um, um, you know, and they're just not, you know, time to give up the ghost on phones. Uh, and I thought it was interesting because the other story I saw was that part of their results is that they are making, Sony's making like 20 bucks a unit on iPhone 6 and the Galaxy S6 because both of them are using Sony cameras. And mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure if it's the whole thing, the lens and the the center, but some part of these phones that have these, you know, these super great high-end um, camera phones 
uh, are all using Sony optics. And I thought that was really, really interesting. And to me, it's Sony at its best, you know, and I've, you know, I've always been like a fan of Sony and I know Steve Jobs was, and I know a lot of Apple people are just because to me, Sony is one of those companies that appeals in the same way that Apple does, where they sweat the details and, and stuff like that. And I think it's so interesting because I saw also that Canon had some really bad results, like quarterly results, you know, because camera sales are so down. And I thought, you know, it was really interesting because Sony, even though they make their own phones, is in, was interested in making camera parts for would-be competitors like Apple and Samsung. And Canon, which doesn't make phones, doesn't have any kind of business like that. Yeah. And I know that maybe that's not really a sign of Sony uh, having the, you know, a bill, Sony executives having the foresight to be like that. Maybe it's just a sign of how divided Sony is as a conglomerate, that maybe the people who make the phones at Sony are pissed that the imaging side of are making them for the phone. But <laughs> either way, it's good for the company. At some point, you know, you know, the buck stops here and, and Sony as a company is doing something pretty smart to stay relevant in a world where people aren't buying Sony phones and people are using the phones they are buying from Samsung and Apple to take their pictures that they're getting a piece of it. Yeah. I don't really remember them making cameras. Well, they do now though. Or does they have a, they bought a separate brand name. They bought Minolta. So Minolta doesn't exist uh, anymore. Okay. Um, okay. A couple of years ago, they bought Minolta and they actually make like the Sony cameras are actually excellent. They, they're some of the cut, uh, really cutting edge stuff. They make good SLRs um, and they're mirrorless ones. You know, these new ones that are like, basically like in layman's terms, a really good camera that doesn't work anything like an SLR. It doesn't have mm -hmm. any kind of clacking mirror. So it's silent. Um, some of theirs are just amazing, really, really groundbreaking stuff. Okay. I can't think of the last Sony product that I owned, frankly. It's, it's so funny it's because, been, you know, after owning them throughout the eighties and, you know, in well into the nineties. It's so funny because I feel like the, one of those like anachronisms that's, it's getting ready to pop are mirrored SLR cameras, digital SLRs, um, you know, like in the way that like smoking in a restaurant, like you just you can't even imagine anymore. Like it stands <laughs> out to me like that. You see it. The only people who really use them anymore, I shouldn't say only, but where I really notice it is news media, like super professional high end news media. So like uh, President Obama comes out in a rose garden to talk about, you know, the news of the day. What do you hear? You hear this like machine gun fire of photos and you never heard it in the old days pre-digital because there was no point when you were only could put 36 images on a roll of film of shooting all 36 images in a second right <laughs> it was like you, you know it, the you know the old way of shooting i'm sure they shot a lot of film i'm sure that like the, you know the newspaper reporters for the major newspapers uh the photographers i'm sure they shot not, not the reporters, the photographers shot a lot of images compared to like what a consumer would do, but they wouldn't just hold the button down and let it shoot yeah. as fast as it could. Whereas now they do, they just shoot yeah. and shoot and shoot and shoot to get whatever <laughs> image they want. Just that one, yeah, that one and special image. The, the noise really started to 
starting to bother me because like nobody else in the world uses these cameras that make noise anymore. Like you go to school events, you don't hear people's cameras clicking anymore. Everybody's cameras are drop dead silent. <laughs> Do you know where else I noticed it? I noticed it when I watched that uh, weird baseball game yesterday. The, the, Oh yeah. The Orioles game. Yeah. So Orioles anybody who didn't see me link to it on daring fireball ball, the city of Baltimore as is having um, a lot of protests over um, the police treatment, uh, of the citizens of Baltimore. Uh, is that a good summary? That's, you know. Yes. So protests in the streets. Um, the protests got a little ugly uh, over the weekend, and there was a baseball game in Baltimore where, where the fans had a hard time getting out of the stadium because they the fans exiting the ballpark were right there where the protests were. And it was nighttime, and it was a little scary. And Well, the police had also – I don't know if, if they had – if this was going on at the same time as that, but they had also, they several times they shut down the public transportation. Mm. Yeah. I saw that too, which is. So, uh, well, yeah, if you're leaving a ball game and there's no public transportation, it might be a little difficult to get around. Yeah. Well, if in Philly, it would be that. I mean, there's thousands and thousands of people who come to the game in their cars in Philly, but I, 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 some huge proportion of every game is taking the subway home. If they shut down the subway, it would be a nightmare. And at Camden Yards is probably better located in Philly. We, we keep our ballparks way down at the end of the city. Like everybody has to go somewhere. Like, you know, I don't know. It would be, it, if, if public transportation had to be sit down, shut down for whatever reason, like a flood or a protest or a strike, even if it was just like a, you know, a public transportation worker strike, I, I could see, I don't know, maybe they wouldn't, if they had enough notice, they wouldn't cancel the game, but I could see how they might have to. So I could see that. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's well-intentioned or not, they played, played a baseball game, professional baseball game yesterday without the public in the stadium. So there was nobody there except for the team and a couple of employees. And I guess there were scouts from other teams were allowed to show up. So there were, you know, an empty, a ballpark that fits 50, some 51,000 people had nobody in it. Um, and why I watched the game for an inning or two, just to see how weird it was. And it was super weird. And you could hear this. Man. That's got to be it. I can't imagine what it's like playing that game. I can't either. I mean, not only is there, you're, you're losing the enthusiasm of the crowd, but then you have all these noises that you never heard before. Yeah. I, or never really paid attention to anyway. Right. Like, it'd be, you know, I don't know. Like, you're, you're, it, it, it must have, I, I don't know. I haven't seen enough. I saw a lot of people writing about what it, how weird it was, but I didn't see a lot of quotes from the players talking about whether it was tough, you know, like to keep their concentrate, you know, like if it did it feel real. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I would think that it wouldn't, but, you know, it seems like a, like a practice. Right. But I just remember thinking, like, in a regular stadium, when, you know, even if the, if you're not a popular team, but the Baltimore Orioles are pretty popular and they, you know, usually have a good, really good crowd, great fans. Um, it doesn't matter what brand camera you have. If you're like a professional photographer, nope, your camera isn't making noise that bothers people. But like in that game, it definitely was. And that's like, I think if you're a professional photographer, even if you're a sports photographer, you've kind of got to be uh, an extrovert to some degree where you're walking around with this big camera and a big obtrusive lens and you're taking people's pictures and you're used to, you know, asking their name so you can get their name or whatever and the rights to use their image. Um, you know, and I'm a little bit more of an introvert. I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't want to be noticed. 
I, I, I would have, it would have been unbearable to me to be like behind home plate, clacking my camera, knowing that like the pitcher and hitter could hear you. It would have driven me nuts. And it didn't matter. And it's like, that's just baseball, right? Because something bad is going to happen for one of them, right? Either the guy's going to make an out and it's bad for the hitter or the guy is. So someone, someone can blame you. But no matter what happened in every at bat, I would be like, oh, that was me, right? <laughs> Like I made the guy throw a bad pitch or I made the guy strike out. I, I, I would, I, I, I wouldn't have been able to stand it. And it's getting, we to, actually, it's getting to a point where there's no technical reason why these guys couldn't use mirrorless cameras that you just push the button like your iPhone right. and it doesn't make a noise. Yeah. yeah. We actually, you had, um, film developed recently for the first time in 15 years, probably something like, you know, 12 years. Because uh, one of the things that they suggested taking to this, this fifth grade camp that I took, went with my son to is uh, was waterproof cameras. Hmm. Um, so Karen bought a couple of you know, disposable waterproof cameras, which are still, you know, film based. So, you know, and, then, and it's funny getting pictures back and particularly pictures that were taken by an 11 year old and the results that you get. There's a couple of good, there's a couple of good ones, but you know, he shot two rolls of film and a lot of them are just like, you know, up in the air, <laughs> the ground, <laughs> there's a tree. <laughs> I've said this for, did your family take a lot of photos growing up? No, I wouldn't. Well, no, I wouldn't say a lot. I mean, we took, we took a fair number, but nobody was, uh, I got into, I got into cameras in junior high school. I and wish I, that was probably, I wish I had. I don't know why yeah. I didn't. I honest to God don't know why I didn't. I even got super involved at the student newspaper at Drexel in the 90s and never got involved in photography. And I have no idea why I didn't. Because I, then I would have had a dark room. I would have had my own dark yeah. room and I could have yeah. blown the paper's funds on development and for film. <laughs> um, yeah, I did that. So I did. We. I mean, I took a class in junior high school for, I forget. I think it was over the summer. I think it was a summer thing. And, um, yeah, we did. So we did develop, we developed black and white stuff. I got in, pretty cool. I shot film then for a couple of years. I got it. I did get my first like SLR and I did start getting into photography right after college. And I immediately thought, why in the hell didn't I do this when I was at the student newspaper? I, they needed me. <laughs> <laughs> like we always do. We're always were desperate in need of, of, uh, decent photographs. Um, I'm not, I'm not any good though. I mean, I just, I don't have a very good eye. Right. And like my wife has just has a much better eye, so she she can take better pictures than I can. But you know, I think I learned I learned a lot, and it was kind of it was cool to be able to do that at the time. Boy, I missed my Pentax K one thousand though. Oh, what was that? God, that was a sweet. That was a fully manual camera. Yeah. Oh God, it was gorgeous. What was the model name? <laughs> got stolen. Pentax K one thousand. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It got stolen. Yeah. And <clears throat> yeah, and for a long time, those were. Those were highly coveted because they were used a lot in 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 photography classes because they were fully manual. Right. And they, they you know, that thing was a brick too. I mean, it was it was built like a brick shit house. Pentax always had it. Maybe they still have. I shouldn't talk about them in the past tense, but although I can't remember the last time I heard of somebody buying a Pentax, but I remember Pentax always had a good reputation for that the controls were nice. Like a yeah. photographer's photographer, you know, like yeah. what you'd want. Like if you, if you wanted to change the aperture, you'd want to do it this way. And that's how they did it. And it, you know, the things that you turned out a good feel and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I still have the one I got as a replacement, which was an ME. Hmm. Um, 
with a couple of lenses. Yeah. It's just sitting on a shelf someplace. My family was not a photography family, which is probably why I just didn't get the interest in it. Like we, and, and we joke like Amy's family was sort of the same way and we joke and it's really no exaggeration that there are rolls of film from like the early eighties <laughs> that that's Unde undeveloped. No, but the, the, you know, like 24 exposures and they start oh. at the Jersey shore on a summer vacation, and then they end with me and my sister opening Christmas presents. <laughs> you know, it, it was like they would we would take the camera on vacation, and then you know shoot a couple photos at the beach, and but you know we don't want to waste the whole roll. And then next thing you know, it's Christmas morning, and Santa came, and it's like, hey, get the camera. <laughs> Someplace I have a roll of film that's undeveloped, like. Uh... I think it's in my dresser or something like that. But, you know, you used to, because the films would come in different speeds and, you know, and, and then sometimes they would shoot black and white in color. And so you, you would sometimes take out a roll of film that was not finished, roll it back up into the, into the thing without rolling it in all the way. Remember right on it, how many pictures you had taken. Right. And then you, you, you could put it back in later and go past that to, to use up the rest of the roll. And so I have one of those that's, it's i'm sure it's been lying around i think it i think it had even been lying around like long before i switched to digital hmm. so it's probably from like the early 90s or something like that i have no idea what's on it i've not it's still not developed it. i should probably do it before all development goes away completely <laughs> it was it was the worst even and when i got into shooting film it you know, I wasn't, you know, I mean, water, money runs through my hands like water. I mean, it's, I was never afraid to, you know, if the day's event that I wanted to photograph, I shot 20 exposures. I didn't give too much of a care about, well, let's take four pictures of, I don't know. Uh, but you do, you did have that sense though, that every time you press the shutter, you were spending like 50, you're spending money, you're spending yeah. some kind of money, you know, like 25 cents, 25 cents, 25 mm -hmm. cents. And that's even if you're just like getting them developed at like, you know, the drugstore or whatever. Yeah. And you get them back and they're crap and you just be furious. Right. And I remember I used to shoot uh Kodak. I loved Kodak Tri-X and I wasn't, I, again, I was super, super, you know, casually uh, into film photography. I mean, and there's so many people who know way, way more about black and white film than me. But Tri-X to me was neat because it was super friendly to a not so good photographer. It had a wide range. It was ISO 400, so you could use it in pretty low light. And it just tended to have this high contrast black and white look that I really, really liked. Um, and it's so funny to me in the years since I think about it too, where I would just pop Tri-X into my camera and go out and shoot photos. And again, I don't really have a great eye. I don't think there's any chance that I was ever going to, you know, be a professional photographer in any sense. You know, I'm lucky if I got, you know, out of 24, if I got two or three interesting shots, um, and never was really good at looking at the real world around me in color and trying to figure out what would look good in high contrast, black and white. Um, but then you just take it to the place and then they give you your 24 things and it'd be like, man, these photos look so cool. Um, <laughs> And, you know, like people's faces, it would be like, you know, the right mix of light and dark. Uh, and then knowing in hindsight, like when you take a color photograph and go into Photoshop or anything, how tricky it is to make a really cool high contrast black and white mix. Whereas the film, yeah. it just happened. It just, you know, automatic. Yeah. You're black no, and white, with, black and days. white man or did you shoot color? I was. No, I was black and white for a long time. I mean, I mostly... Well, for a long period, I was I was shooting just black and white. 
So from that point where I took that class in junior high school through probably through college, I think I shot all in black and white. And then when I went to Japan, so I guess like in my junior year in college, when I went to Japan, I, um, I wanted to shoot in color while I was there. Hmm. So that's probably about when I switched, but then I say, you know, on and off, I would still, I would still shoot black and white. All right. Let me take a break. And, uh, thank our next sponsor and they've sponsored the show before, but not for a long time. Um, it's our good friends at audible, a U D I B L E, um, the ebook or not ebook, the audio book company, largest selection of audio books in the world. Um, they have over 180,000 titles, new titles, probably every week, maybe every day. I don't even know. Um, you can just sign up and subscribe and start downloading audiobooks instantly. Uh, longtime sponsor of podcasts for the obvious reason that if you are listening to me talk to you right now, you are the sort of person who listens to people talking <laughs> on a thing. And maybe you have a commute. Maybe you listen to podcasts while you work. Maybe you do it while you exercise. Who knows? But you're obviously listening to spoken word content, and that is what Audible has uh, long form books, real books, uh, and a great deal. And so if you consume lots of podcasts, if you're the sort of person who wishes that I came out with more podcasts and, and you love it when my podcasts run long uh, and you need more stuff, uh, if you haven't looked at Audible and eBooks for high quality content, well, you should, because it's amazing. It's, you know, I, I'm going to say literally, and I think I actually mean literally, literally, not literally in the new sense that means figuratively, a library of book-length content, uh, 180,000 of them from uh, all the top broadcasters, publishers, entertainers, uh, and more. And you can go there. Here's the thing. You can go and get a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30-day trial membership. So I'm not even asking you to spend money. You can just go there. Um you got to go to audiblepodcast.com, A-U-D-I-B-L-E podcast.com. That's their domain slash the talk show. They've got the the in the slug. Audiblepodcast.com slash the talk show. Go there and you get a free book. You get a 30-day membership where you can download all sorts of other stuff to listen to. And there's the thing. They always want the host of the show to pick a book, which I was going to I was going to ask. I was going to ask. But this time, it's such good timing. I, it is no-brainer. Totally easy, no-brainer. Uh, Becoming Steve Jobs, The Evolution of a Reckless Upstart into a Visionary Leader. That's the book that came out a few weeks ago, uh, I think in March, by uh, Brent Schlender and Rick Tedzelli. Uh, and I've been writing about it on Daring Fireball a few times. I interviewed those guys on stage in New York to talk about it uh, last month. Uh, I, I just think it's not a perfect book. It is not. And I know like Jason Snell and a, a few other people have brought up some of the things and some of the things are just, they, they could have been caught with like a technical editor because it's just stupid stuff like getting the name of certain Macs wrong or certain technical details. Like, cause these guys are, they're business writers and they're writing about Apple as a business and they're not writing about it from the, get all the details. Right. And I know people like me, it, it, it's annoying when you see a stupid technical error in there. Um, I get annoyed when people don't, you know, capitalize Macworld, right? And I think that they capitalize Macworld. Yeah, wrong. they they camel cased it, right? So, I I know, I know, but seriously, the book is like ninety nine percent great, and it has some really really good original stuff. Um, 
that nobody else has ever had. It has a really neat personal touch and it has a long term view on Jobs's business life because Brent Schlender had been writing about him and talking about him and, and part of his life and, you know, visit him in his home every couple of years for decades. Um, it's a tremendous. I think this is great. Uh, personally, it's an unabridged audiobook. It's 16 hours, 21 minutes. So you're not missing a damn thing. So if you haven't read that book yet and you love books, go there, they've got it. You could do this as the, uh, uh, as your free with 30 day trial membership book, Becoming Steve Jobs by uh, Brent Schlender and Rick Tedzelli. So, my thanks to Audible. And again, the URL is audiblepodcast.com slash the talk show. I see in their homepage, the, on the main page, they have uh, The Martian, which is a really good book that uh, I just finished reading with my son. And um, he's, you know, he likes, he's not crazy about reading novels for some reason. He really likes reading. Uh, nonfiction and tends to do that. So we were trying to get him into novels and the way I got him into this was I told him there was a lot of swearing in it. <laughs> um, and there is, there's a lot, there's a fair amount of swearing in it. And, uh, but it's very funny and there's no, there's no bad violence. There's no crazy sexual situations in it. Um, it's, there's a lot of hard science fiction and, and some, some swearing that he found quite amusing. So uh, we plowed through that together, and he really enjoyed that. Ah, so it's a, like, I think it's a it's a really good book. Hard science fiction about a manned mission to Mars. Yes, awesome. guy gets guy gets stuck, and it's becoming a movie. I think coming out in the fall, if I'm not mistaken, with Matt Damon. There you go. I As saw Matt the Damon. Martian. I saw him stranded on a planet already. <laughs> well, <laughs> guess he's getting typecast. Yeah, Wouldn't he's a uh, he's a much nicer guy in this one though. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they've got the Game of Thrones stuff, all that. So anyway, th thanks to Audible. I, honestly, God, you could consume your entire life listening to Audible books. Uh, sorry, what else is going on? What else we got? We don't really talk about uh, earnings. What was the other? What was the other? Did we do both the links that you sent me? Uh, oh, that it goes, goes into earnings where it's oh, over this, the yeah, the iPad. So Apple reported their earnings, and uh, the iPhone is gazinga it's going nuts they're like the most but seriously it's yeah, it, it's it's insane how often can you say it but it's seriously it's probably the single most popular and successful product in the yeah. history it, of like modern manufacturing yeah I mean, and some people kind of use that as a club because they say that apple's solely an iphone company now and that's their big problem because if, boy if something happens to the iphone like something is just going to happen to the iphone then they'll be in big trouble. So look out. Well, Which I do, I, you know, and, and there was a New York Times story. I, I don't even want to put it in the show notes because it was so stupid. It was like, uh, can Apple stay on top forever? Apple can't stay on top forever. Just ask IBM. And it was a stupid, stupid article because it didn't even say, it's just it, the whole article could have been replaced with what goes up must come down. And right. I don't know that there's anybody who's arguing that Apple will remain the biggest company forever because i mean it's you know the heat death of the universe is imminent <laughs> right i mean something's gonna happen eventually like tell me give me something it was like a lot of people pointed to me on twitter and i can't wait for the claim chowder on this but it's actually claim chowder proof because he didn't say anything that could ever be disproven he didn't say five years from someday now, apple, yeah. yeah five years from now apple will not be the biggest company or 10 years from now yeah <laughs> unlike no, unlike trip chowdhury <laughs> you're right trip chowdhury <laughs> 60 days <laughs> True. That's, you know, 
That's a good point, though. That that let's hear it for Trip Chowdhury. At least Trip Chowdhury <laughs> for, for putting a putting a line in the sand. Right. He's his Trip Chowdhury's thing was a year ago that Apple had to. Uh, what was it? Well, he has a lot of them actually, but yeah, uh, I think the one that you're thinking they, of they was, needed to come out with a bigger phone within sixty days or or face irrelevancy. Right? Yes, like they, they would go into permanent decline, and they, yeah. they and they missed his sixty day period by at least five or six months. Uh, <laughs> And, and still seem to be doing okay. Yeah. <laughs> but at least, again, give it to him. He was incredibly wrong, terribly sensationalist, <laughs> shamelessly m- making a statement, in my opinion, that he probably – he either has brain damage or <laughs> is, you know, a substance problem, or he knew exactly what he was saying and just knew that it would get quoted. Right. And which is my theory is that a lot of these guys like him and Rob Enderley and he, everybody always asks me, what is with these guys? And I, I, my answer is, I think the answer is what they're good at is they're good at getting their name out there and being quoted right. because, and then that leads to consulting work because people mm-hmm. say, Rob Enderley, I've seen you on TV and I've seen you quoted in the New York times. I, you must be smart. I will hire you. And then I think they were in for right. a big surprise. Never. Yeah. Uh, you know, I met him. You met Enderly? Yeah, almost. All well, I, I wait. I, I <laughs> you met out. him almost? Well, yeah, I chickened out. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I don't think I could do it either. <laughs> when I was in San Francisco, I have not told this story. It's a good story. When I was in San Francisco last September for the iPhone event, I believe it was the iPhone. Might have been the iPad in October, but I think it was iPhone. Uh, the next day, T-Mobile had an event right there in San Francisco, right there on Market Street. I think it, you and I have been there. It's that the bar that looks like an old. It's supposed to be like an old newspaper. You know, like five late edition or something like that. Early edition. Oh, that sounds familiar. Uh, I can't picture. I can't picture it. Let me see if there's a bar in San Francisco called Early Edition, or maybe there there was because they bars in San Francisco tend to have a short Yeah, right. But they uh, rented the whole place out. Uh, Early edition, local edition, local edition. Yeah, local edition. So uh, anybody who's interested and knows it's uh, 691 Market Street. So the T-Mobile rented out local edition. It's a pretty big bar for a cocktail bar. Um, And uh, John Laguerre, what's his last, how do you say his name? Legere. Legere. I, I uh, you know, was announcing, I think, I don't know, like their new unlimited plan or something like that. And they invited me and I never would have gone in a thousand years, except for the fact that I was already in San Francisco and I didn't have to change any of my travel plans. So I thought, screw it. Why don't I, you know, act like a real, you know, somebody who covers stuff like this and I'll go. And I had a fun time. Um, but while I was standing in line waiting to go in, I realized that Rob Enderley was right behind me in line. Like he was the person behind me. I was talking to, um, <laughs> uh, I forget who I was talking to from uh, The Verge. Somebody from The Verge was right in front of me. Uh, Dieter Bone was right in front of me. And I was talking to him. We were talking about the phone, you know, the iPhone. And I realized Rob Enderley was right behind me. And I really thought about introducing myself because I think I could pull it off. But my worry was that maybe he has no idea who I am. And I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to do it. That, it wasn't like I got real shy and, and just totally chickened out. And I, like, I'm willing to face up for the number of times I have called him a jackass. Uh, but it would, I couldn't figure out a way to do it with playing both sides of the table of it's okay. Because yeah, right. you know what I mean? Like I'm always, so for example, I always run into this when I go into an Apple retail store is a lot of times I go in and the people who help me when they realize who I am, they 
they acknowledge it and they're like, Oh, I, I love your site. Um, like they're obviously trained in the Apple stores. And it's a funny thing. Like I'm not a celebrity, but in an Apple store, I'm a celebrity. Yeah. Um, they're trained that if you recognize somebody, don't make a deal out of it. You know? So like if a true, like the mayor mm -hmm. comes in, they're supposed to mm -hmm. treat the mayor like a regular customer. So they, it's never uncomfortable, you know, but other times it is clear that the person who's checking me out at the Apple store has no idea who I am, which is totally cool. I don't care. I don't want to be, I, it's better. Um, but sometimes it comes up like, um, uh, <laughs> I, I bought, uh, Jonas's, uh, cause again, I'm a procrastinator. Um, uh, instead of ordering it online, I bought Jonas's, uh, MacBook air on in the retail store. And, um, cause I was getting close to Christmas and I couldn't trust the <laughs> shipping. So, um, I went in to buy it and the guy, I was like, this is what I want to buy. I want to buy this. And, uh, actually it's a MacBook pro. I should have corrected because he wants to play Minecraft. Um, so anyway, I went in to buy a MacBook pro and I knew exactly what I wanted. Uh, and I knew they had it. And I said, this is what I want to buy. And the guy started giving me, well, what do you do? What do you, you know, what are you going to use it for? <laughs> and, he was, and I didn't want to tell him what I did. <laughs> just, just, just give me the laptop. Because it was, I, I, it's like, well, I write a site where about Apple. It just seemed to me like, you know, I, if I said that, then it would be like, I'm implying you're supposed to know who I am. And I don't think you're supposed to know who I am. But anyway, I couldn't figure out how to do it with Enderlay and play both sides of the street where it would be like, Oh, we finally meet. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, right. 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 Maybe I look he, to and see he's me. not, yeah. He's not expecting to, right. to have that moment. Yeah. Right. But on the other <laughs> hand, I wouldn't be surprised. You? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if he has no idea, never heard of me, never heard of anything. Cause I think he's, you know, he's so monomaniacally focused on getting quoted by like the New York times <laughs> and getting on CNN yeah. And stuff like that, that, you know, my little thing doesn't even. Well, he also just lives, he lives in a completely different world. Yes, exactly. I mean, he too. lives in a, he lives in the PC world. So he's not, you know, he, I, yeah, he probably does not keep up on, <laughs> on our movements. Right. <laughs> like for example, uh, also I've never met him, but, um, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, windows guy. Oh, uh, Yeah. Thorat. <laughs> yeah, Thorat. Paul Thorat. Never met him. Almost met him last year when I was out at Microsoft's Build Conference. Um, uh, I was at the same like after party, and I thought about going over, but it was just real crowded, and he was talking to somebody. Like I, I, there's, I wouldn't hesitate to introduce myself to him, and I've linked to him sometimes complimentary. Sometimes I've agreed with him, but a lot of times over the years I've linked to him, you know, in uh, disagreement. Let's say, sure. Um, but I wouldn't hesitate to introduce myself to him. But I, I know that he knows who I am, so the, at least the context is there. He at least, I mean, you know, I don't think that every. Post that he makes shows this, but he at least is a guy who I know is smart. Yes. Yeah. I you totally know? agree. Whereas yeah. with Enderley, I didn't know. I no, yeah. <laughs> Enderley, you know, like, I don't know what that guy's deal is. <laughs> I kind of regret it though, in hindsight. I regret that I didn't figure. I think the way to play it in hindsight would have been to just overemphasize the humble part and just assume that he has no idea and say, hey, I, my name's John Gruber. I write a site where I write about technology. Uh, yeah. But then why am I introducing me to you? It, it, that's the thing I couldn't get over is if I play it like that, like as though I don't expect him to know who I am, then I don't see the mm -hmm. point of me introducing myself to him because really the point would be. Right. So there's the solution that my wife and I have come up to come up with in situations like that is just to touch the person. <laughs> <laughs> 
So we went to we went to Penn and Teller Penn and Teller one time, and uh, you know, there's in the intermission they come out into the lobby. At least they used to. This was a long time ago, um, and they just like they mill around in the lobby and talk to people. And and she's like, and, and uh, we were we were with a bunch of friends. We were like, well, should we go? Should we go talk to them? They're like, like I'm not anything to say. What am I gonna say? I, don't, I have nothing to say to to uh, Penn Gillette. All right. And uh, and so my wife just goes, well, I'm just gonna go touch him. <laughs> She just so she just walks up to him and she just like pokes him in the arm and then just walks away. <laughs> He's talking to somebody. He didn't even look at her. He just kept talking to the person and then walked away. So like years later, I'm at I'm at MacWorld, the conference, and I see Ron Johnson on the floor. And I was like, hi, there's, there's Ron Johnson. I was like, He's a you know, Apple executive. Like I had a retail. I was like, I was with a friend of mine and I'm like, I'm going to go touch him. <laughs> so I just walked up to Ron Johnson. Same thing. Exact same thing. He's talking to some guy. I poke him in the arm and I walk away. <laughs> he doesn't look at me. Nothing. Just like <laughs> I touched Ron, Don- Ron Johnson. John, you've told me a lot of weird stories over the years. <laughs> I'm sure I told, I must've told you that before. No, that's <laughs> crazy. It's crazy that you walk away without expecting. Like, I really thought you were going to say, like, you put your hand on your shoulder and wait for them to look at you. And then. No, then, no, you just like, because it's the, that's that thing though. It's like, I've really got nothing. I mean, I might be interested to talk to him for a while, but I don't, you know, I don't know how to, I don't know how to broach that. I don't know. You know one of my, hi, I wrote a stupid website there. I mean, What's it I don't want to be that. Nice website? I don't want to, yeah, right. <laughs> Obviously I'm an idiot. He doesn't want to talk to me. So, I don't know. <laughs> Plus, I probably wrote something on cars he didn't like. <laughs> That's so crazy, though. But the, my second thought, though, is that it's it's a sign that that you married right, that you and your wife both agree <laughs> yeah. that this is. That's the method. That's what you do in those situations. You just touch the person. You've made you've made contact, and that's it. That's all you needed, right? <laughs> very very funny. I think more you know more people should do that. Instead of making fools out of themselves, right? Oh, well, where were we? We got sidetracked. We were talking about the <laughs> um, iPad sales. Fine, fine, the, the, yeah, right. Um, so, uh, all right. <laughs> iPhone, most successful product in history. Uh, Mac is doing better, but it's like a, you know, it, it, it looks like a successful product in a very established category, which is exactly what it is, where doing well is very, very stable and the growth, while sloping upward, which is what a company wants to see, it's sloping upward at a very, very gentle slope. Um, right. Whereas, but while, I, but while the rest of that, that category is going down, it's been, go- so, been going down. Yeah. And so if, yeah, the most impressive thing perhaps about the Mac is it's it, not its slope compared to zero, but it's slope compared to the PC industry as a whole, mm-hmm. right. which always confuses me too, because is that PC industry as a whole, including Apple or is it, does it mean, oh, does it mean Windows PCs? Because Apple sells enough Macs now where it, that actually it makes should, a difference. It should fix the curve. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. But anyway, they sell, you know, the, the industry's in decline and the Mac is on a gentle rise. So that's good. And then there's the iPad, which has a very, very weird and quite, you know, frankly, if you like the iPad or if you, you know, own Apple stock or whatever, you know, it, it worrisome, perhaps because mm-hmm. it's in decline. Um, and I will put this in the show. I just linked to it on Daring Fireball before we started recording, but Dr. Drang uh, 
had a really good post about how to visualize this, you know, and he pointed out that the way every, that the simple way of pointing it out where you just show this quarter, that quarter, this quarter, that quarter, this quarter, that quarter and unit sales is re- re- disguises the trends because it's so skewed by the holiday quarters, um, which are even more skewed for the iPad the last few years, because that's also the quarter when the new ones come out. Like there's two reasons for there to be a burst in iPad sales. New iPads come out and people buying them for the holidays. And ever since they switched to unveiling them in October, that's the same quarter. So that one quarter a year has a spike. So he's using moving averages to show the, you know, each quarter's Mm -hmm. trailing four quarters average. Um, Which is a common thing in financial yeah, it's not a way to modeling. It's not a way to make it look good or bad. It's a way no. to make it to make the trend, the actual underlying trend, visible. Mm-hmm. Like I would say that the the easy way of doing it isn't making it look good or bad. It just is sort of uh, noisy. Apple's way, which he points out, which is to only show cumulative sales, is let's face it, sort of a euphemistic chart because cumulative always goes up. Um. And this, you know, this moving average type thing, you can really see that there is, it's not just that it's flattened, but that they're actually in decline. Right. Um, But that said, still, it's a product that sold 13 million units last quarter. It's not exactly a failure. And is the, well, so is the tablet market down as well? Yes, the tablet market is down as well. It is. Um. And there is a reader, I'll, I'll just quote it because I thought it, I've been trying to word it myself and I can't say it any better than this. But his explanation was, and I, I, he didn't link to me, but I've had this thing that it's, there's, there's a sort of durability explanation that people have bought iPads and they're still using the ones that they already had. Um, and I'm not trying to justify, I'm not trying to spin it in any way, but I'm just trying to, you know, but I do think that's true. And I know this firsthand from like family members who have relatively old iPads. Everything other than the original iPad is a totally credible iPad today. The the original, which my dad still uses because he uh, refuses to spend anything <laughs> on anything, um, but suffers because of it. It's really, really hard to use. And I forget the late, it's like, I still run yeah, like, like iOS five, five or something yeah, like so, that. Yeah. Yeah. My father-in-law has that too. Um, uh, but the iPad two, which is a long time ago, that's a 2011 device is fundamentally the same internal specs as the current $249 right. iPad mini. It's, right. you know, the non-retina screen. It's the same A4 what four processor or whatever it was, A6, A5 or whatever. It's an old processor, same lower amount of RAM. Um, it So it's a, effectively a 2011 iPad 2, which was expensive, is the same as the $249 iPad you can go in, iPad mini you can go and buy today. Um, now, I'm not saying that that's a great experience. I'm guessing it's not a great experience on, with iOS 8, but it's still there. Um, uh, but anyway, Dr. Drang kind of... Uh, it depends on what you're using it for, though, because my wife has has one that you know we bought when they came out, and she mostly uses it for reading, which, is, of course, so it's, of course, that's perfectly fine, but she, I mean, she'll play, you know, All Tells Adventure. She plays a few, a few simple games. She doesn't, she's not, she's not playing, you know, like Unreal Engine. Right. <laughs> you know, she's not playing anything that's heavy duty graphical. Can I tell so, you something? Yeah. I have, I have never even looked at Alto's adventure yet. 
I keep hearing people. Well, I, this is like the third time on a podcast in the last week that I've heard somebody mention it as the, one of those things that like you just assume everybody knows. Like the ATP guys talk about it is you know it's, it's right. like all they talk about. It's a good. It's a good game. What kind of what kind of a game is it? It's like um, did you ever play oh, what's the the one with the not Angry Birds but the one with the uh, flap not Flappy Wings Flappy Birds. Flap no the one. Uh, <laughs> Is it Flappy Bird? What is the heck is it Flappy called? Bird. It's the one with the, it's one of the birds like they go over hills. And oh, you press and they I know go what down. Oh, tiny, yeah, yeah, yeah. tiny, tiny wings, tiny wings, yeah, tiny wings. Yeah, I've got it. Um, it's a bit like it's a bit like that. Um, except instead of pressing to go down, you press to make jumps. So you're a, you're a snowboarder and you have to do all these different kinds of jumps and jump over things and also like pick up things and uh, and then escape from someone's chasing you. Uh, but it's good. It's it's visually very nice, and the music is nice, and it's just it's a very well made game. Yeah, so, I probably wouldn't like that. Yeah, no one to blame but yourself. Yeah. Um. Anyway, one of his in an update to Doctor Drang's post, he quotes a reader of his, Ben Packard, um, who ex- thinks that his durability explanation. Drang sort of said this durability thing is nonsense. Or not that it's nonsense, but he kind of brushed it off earlier. And this guy says that the Mac, he, he the, and because Drang's argument is why doesn't that apply to the Mac as well? And this guy says the Mac has been around long enough for there to be substantial numbers of owners at every stage of ownership. In other words, they have a brand new one, they have a medium aged one, middle aged one, or they have an old Mac that's ready to be replaced. Um, and I would also say too that the Mac's been around long enough that ownership is evenly distributed among people like uh, idiots like me who buy new stuff every couple of years, and people like my dad who will use an iMac until it breaks, right? Yeah. Um, and that the iPad isn't like that at all. For the iPad, uh, lots and lots of iPad users are still on their first iPad, and so we haven't gotten you know it'll take years before mm-hmm. it evens out and smooths out, right? And that people yeah. who want to have a new iPad every year or two because they're playing high end games uh, will be smoothed out compared to people who just read novels on their iPad and play gentle games, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah. And whatever the long term replacement cycle of iPads turns out to be, we're still in the first one. We're still in the first replacement cycle for too many of the variations, and I think that that's true. Um, but the the other thing though is that Apple kind of contributes to this by, like you said, the making the low end model last year's model, or or in this case, the model from several years ago. So now, you know, I mean, like if you're a developer and you want to code something, you you want to, I mean, I, and I know a lot of developers have complained about this because they don't want to have to code to these older iPads because it's you know the thing is not that powerful anymore. Yeah. But they still, but they still feel that need to, to do that. So, you know, by selling, by continuing to sell those older, you know, the ones with the older internals, they're making the developers try and still make those viable machines, viable devices. And clearly I am not that keyed into the game industry. (laughs) I would say almost famously. So at this point, but, um, it doesn't take a gamer to know that games are sort of at the forefront of that, where games are the sort of apps that most want to take advantage of the latest and greatest hardware and things like metal and stuff like that, that only, you know, only it applies to the latest hardware 
the first, mm-hmm. you know, the new generation of hardware. And Apple works against that in a couple of ways, not just by selling those things, but the way the app store is set up. And they, it's not, you can't just submit an app and say it only runs on the iPad Air 2 even if that's yeah. the truth. And so you see these apps and games where, where there's like a warning, you know, they actually have to put like a warning in the description. It's like, if you own an iPad mini, you know, or whatever, if you own any of these iPads, uh, don't, don't buy this game. Yeah. Which is a really people, weird thing. <laughs> like that. People get, uh, and people get mad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're like, you know, I just bought this iPad and I can't play this game on it. That's ridiculous. Well, you know. Yeah. And then what do they do? They give com- comments on the app store. You're yeah, right. Right. And it starts a very, very bad circle. It's It just goes to show that they're, you know, Apple's obviously not going to switch to it, but there is a certain, certain beauty to the console game model where they just say, okay, here is a generation product, the PS4, and we are going to sell this thing for five or six years, maybe more. I think maybe the generations are getting a little older, but, and then when you go buy a game, the game just real big, right up in the corner says PS4. And then you know that that game will run as it was expected to run on the PS4 that you have hooked up to your TV. Mm-hmm. And I know, yes, there's different models and you could, you know, I guess PS4 isn't like that, but with previous ones, some of them had bigger hard drives and stuff like that. But for the most part, you know, you knew what, you, you knew what the target was going to be. So I don't know. I, what do you think is going on with the iPad? Yeah, I mean, I just think it's, I think, it, I, well, I think that, I mean, I do think it's the durability to at least a certain degree. I think. Because, and, and, and I'm, you know, and I don't, I don't know if durability is the right word. I, uh, I go back. It's, just, it's like a legacy. I go back to the way that Apple framed the unveiling in 2010 and, um, you know, going back to the audible read that, the you know, the, uh, even with the chair that was on the stage that Steve Jobs sat on, um, in the becoming Steve Jobs, they say, although the sourcing on that was a little, wasn't quite clear because nobody quite said it, but they made it pretty clear from their reporting that, that part of the reason for the chair was to show the iPad in the context they wanted to show it, which was sitting back rather than sitting forward. But mm-hmm. it was also a concession to Jobs's uh, physical stamina that, you know, he right. couldn't stand for two hours. Um, but I do, I think fundamentally though, that there was something to that, that they picked the right way to frame it, which was, there was no device on the market that was meant for use handheld sitting back, whether you're sitting back in a chair or on a couch or laying on the bed or, you know, and let, you know, see it every time I get on an airplane, sitting on an airplane seat, sitting back, holding something in your hand, which is the traditional form factor of a book or magazine, Right. Mm-hmm. compared to something like a laptop that is meant to be laid flat on a desk while you sit forward. You should see my son use a laptop. <laughs> he tucks the edge of it under, he'll, he'll lie down on the on the couch and he will tuck the, ed, the, the front edge of it under his chin. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that. I have seen that as well. I've seen that. Uh, but yeah, for I get, the most part, yes. The form factor was not meant, is not conducive to those things. And no, so I think no. there was this enormous untapped market. And it also coincided coming three years after the iPhone and, and what, a, a, almost 10 years after the iPod with finally, and I mean that, you know, in a real sense, finally mass market awareness of Apple products, you know, and, and, and affinity for them that there was this huge untapped market 
because there'd never been a product that meant to fit it. And that overinflated the early years of iPad sales. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I really I don't think that was, a, that was definitely an effect as well. Right. It was just untapped because like mm-hmm. even, you know, the 11 inch air, which maybe at the time was like the closest thing anybody had to an iPad like device just wasn't good in any of those physical contexts, you know? Right. I kind of wonder if the if the large screen iPhones will go through the same thing. Ah, that's because there has been there has been so much pent up demand for that form factor, and they're getting a bunch of people who are switching because yeah, they wanted an iPhone all along, but they wanted a big iPhone, and now they've got one, and it'll be interesting to see what happens from here on out. I mean, I doubt that they'll have problems, you know, like serious problems, iPad like problems, but you know. I wonder if the growth will I not, do, I, quite, not quite what it was. I do. Th- I think that there might be some potential for that. Like one thing with the with the iPhone that is it's remarkable is that they've never had a year over year uh, not, not even a drop though. I don't even think it's ever stayed flat. Every single year has been uh, year over year increase in sales. And for the first couple of years, now this was truly unsustainable. I know that the people have said a lot of the growth, you know, Apple and growth is unsustainable, has to, you know, law of large numbers, blah, 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 has to stop. Um, The first few years, each successive generation of iPhone not only sold more than the one before it, it sold more than all previous generations combined. I think that was true up until like the iPhone mm-hmm. 4 or maybe even 4S that like the iPhone 4 sold more than the original the 3G and the 3GS combined and the 3GS had sold more than the original and 3G combined and the 3G had sold more than the original you know mm-hmm. um like remarkable growth um obviously that was not sustainable that was at, at that sort of pace it would you'd very quickly run out of people on the planet you know <laughs> you would you know it's like yeah. but yeah. but it still is growing but I do wonder if you're right though that like there's so much pent up demand for a quote big iPhone that was exactly like that. That maybe it suppressed sales for a few years beforehand, and now people, you know, now they've got it and they're happy with it, and it, you know, yeah. And it's still it might take a few cycles for right. it to to fully flush out, right? Um, and then and then maybe and then maybe there's some other thing that they'll you know come up with to jam in to to reinvigorate again. Yeah, but I think by by then, by then, everyone will want to go back to small phones. <laughs> I think that it will. Um, I think it'll go. Um, I think that it, the first sign will be that the high end sales level off because it's going to reach. I, I do think that it'll have. It has to happen eventually, and they're got to be getting closer to it, and that the growth will come by making more and better lower end iPhones to st- expand the market you know, into other mm-hmm. countries with lower incomes and stuff like that. Yeah. But that, which, which will overall though, it might it keep growing the number of users, but it's going to grow the financial implications of it eventually yeah. has to. Yeah. But the thing, I mean, the thing about Apple with the, the large numbers is that they're very good about making sure that if someone's going to gamble as their sales, it's going to be them. Right, and I think that helps protect them from that problem. You know, you don't. I mean, it, what happens? You know, when you when you're focused on so much on one product, you know, like we are this company and we make this thing, and you know, hey, everybody loves our product, and you know, and then you get to the point where okay, everybody has your product. Well, then they don't know what to do next, and Apple doesn't think that way. In generally, at least to date. Right. Um. 
Let me take a break and do the our last and final sponsor, and it's um, our good friends at Automatic. Have you heard of these guys? Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh man, Automatic. It's they call it a small connected car adapter. It plugs into your car's diagnostic port. Now I'm not a car guy. I didn't even know there was such a thing, but there is. There's a standard car diagnostic port, and it's the same one that your mechanic uses or your dealer or wherever you take your car. Like when your car lights up and says you need service B2 or something like that, um, uh, that that's what the service guy puts in, and it tells the tells them, hey, the oil's down at 5%, and you know this is no good anymore. Um, and then that's also how they reset those things. Like the way that said that the, you know, when they're done changing your oil, no car, no longer tells you that all goes through this diagnostic port. Well, you plug automatics. It's a dingus, right? You plug it in there, you plug the dingus in there. Um, and every car since 1996 has one of these ports. It's a standard. Um, and then it pairs to your phone over Bluetooth. And then when you, when you, uh, drive, it connects your car to the internet and your car's on the internet because of your phone while you're driving around. So what does it do? What's the point? Why would you want to do this? You're not a mechanic. If you were a mechanic, you'd already know about this, right? Well, you use their free mobile app and the mobile app shows you, um, like, let's say check engine light comes on. What the hell does that mean? Well, this port knows exactly why it came in. And so in plain English, it'll just tell you on your phone exactly what's wrong with your car. Like check engine light just means take the car to someone who knows what they're doing. Well, now you know exactly what it is. It could be something that is just complete nonsense, right? That you can just ignore. Maybe it's a serious issue, but that way you'll know what it is. You, you know, you know, you're not wasting your time or you, or you know, you have a serious problem. And if it is a waste of your time, if it's something you don't care about, you can just clear the light right there from the app. It goes over the diagnostic port and then it won't bug you anymore. Uh, super convenient. It logs your trips. It logs your parking location. So like when you shut the car off, the automatic just says to the phone, okay, give me my location. Okay, boom, I know where I am. And then uh, you don't remember where you parked. Well, you could just check the app and the app knows where you parked. Uh, And it also does some uh, coaching with driving habits. Tells you how to drive, what speed, uh, you know, what kind of mile an hour you're, or mileage you're getting, uh, could save you hundred. If you're a person who drives a lot, could save you hundreds of dollars a year in gas by giving you uh, tips and scoring on driving. Sort of reminds me of Apple Watch, like what Apple Watch does to sort of steer you towards better health and mo- motion and movement. Automatic does for your car. It's like Apple Watch for your car. Um, they're fans of the show. They remember the old episode uh, with Dan Benjamin where I talked about, uh, <laughs> you remember this, I, I lost my license because uh, uh-huh. I got mm-hmm. caught driving. <laughs> I got caught how driving. Fast, how fast was it? I think it was, I think it was 90. Uh, and uh, they give you a warning uh, They and they let you set it. Their default is 70, but you go over 70 and it'll give you a little buzz like, hey, slow down, you know, lead foot. Um, or to save me a lot of trouble. Um, but you can customize that. So I, I would turn that up a little bit. 70 sounds a little low to me. I'd turn that up to at least 85. Uh, but then you get a nice warning when it goes off. Um, and serious stuff. I, I'm joking around there. I never lost my license. Um, but they have serious stuff like crash detection. So automatic can detect a crash and connect to your phone and call for help for free, which hopefully you'll never need. Uh, hopefully you'll never be in a crash, frankly, but also hopefully you'll never be in a crash where you, it would actually help you if, you know, your car could do it, make the call for you. But if you needed it, well, it's there and it'll do it. And a, a human, uh, will even stay on the line with you until hope arri- help arrives. Um, 
They've got Nest integration, so you can do things like get your home heated up or cooled down. I guess we're heading towards summer uh, as you're heading home. Uh, and all sorts of other stuff. I mean, really, really, really deep stuff for nerds, like where you can hook up to uh, Google Docs and Twitter and Evernote and just about anything with an API, uh, connected home devices like the Philips Hue lights. They can get integration with that. You get your lights turned on before you come in. Anyway, all sorts of cool stuff. It's super, super simple. Free app. There's no subscription. You just buy the dingus. You buy the automatic dingus. It's $99, $99.95. There's no subscription fee. You don't have to pay money every month to get this service to do all this. You just buy it, you plug it in, you have the app, and it just works. Even better, use this URL, automatic.com, just like the automatic transmission. No funny spellings. Automatic.com slash talk show. No the, just slash talk show. Uh, and they're going to let you save 20% off. That's 20 bucks. So you, for just 80 bucks, you'll get this super cool dingus for your car. Uh, ships in two business days, and they have a 45-day return policy. So use it for a month, and you still have two weeks left where you can decide whether it's actually worth it and whether you like it. And then if you don't, you can just send it back. It's another another good uh, Mother's Day present. A uh, fantastic Mother's Day present. And and actually, you could I think you could say so. Like you get here's the scenario: you get your you get your mom if you're like a teenager or you know. So like 16 or up, you get your mom some flowers and then you buy yourself the automatic and tell her, mom, I know you worry about me. Don't worry now. I've got this thing that's in my car and it's going to, it's going to take care of me. <laughs> going to make sure I don't speed. Now go take a nap on your peace of mind. Peace of mind. That's what your mom wants. Peace of mind. And she can take a nap on her new mattress. That's right. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, my thanks to automatic automatic.com slash talk show. Buy it. It's super cool. Uh, Everybody, I, they, the car should be built in with this thing. That's the, the, I'm telling you, that's where this, this is, this is, this she, is heading. She wakes up and looks at the fracture picture of, of your, of you that you gave her. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's a Mother's Day spectacular. That's a, that's a, oh my God. That's fantastic. Uh, so what else on the earnings or the iPad? Anything? Uh, China. Hmm. Gang, gangbusters in China. Yeah. And, and did you see that, uh, Ben Beharan, uh, posted a, I did not chart yesterday or today. I can't remember um, that showed the various market share, I guess, I guess market shares in, in China and Apple's shoots up and Xiaomi's shoots down. So now Apple is up over Xiaomi's. Wow. So they're like number one. I think so. Uh, yeah. I'll have to find it. Yeah. Um, pretty sure that's, yeah, and which is kind of ironic since we had to listen for so long about how Apple was doomed in China because of Xiaomi. Yeah, well, and Ad Apple was doomed without a low cost phone. Like, I feel like yes. of all the ways that sometimes if I lose the forest for the trees with Claim Chowder, it's uh, it's over whether it was important or not. You know, like you know, and and to me, the Apple needs a low cost phone was important because these people they were very serious people who were making the argument in the most dire terms possible that the only way the iPad or iPhone could continue and, and be any meaningful success for the company would be if they went after the low cost market, they've already got the high end market. They got to go low uh, or else they're doomed. And I mean, you, you could fill a book with the claim chowder on that. And <laughs> what did they do? They raised the prices. They raised the price. The average selling price is like $60 higher year over year because the iPhone six plus starts a hundred dollars higher. Uh, and so many people are buying the iPhone six, 
uh, instead of like the mid-range phone, uh, so that their average selling prices went significantly higher. Not just like, oh, it's a, you know, put an asterisk next to it. It's actually a dollar higher than a year. It's like 60 bucks a phone higher. Uh, and, and it was like, they're never going to succeed in China without a low cost phone. <laughs> Yeah, right. And instead, they've had unprecedented success in China with their yeah. most expensive iPhones ever. <laughs> yeah, they're number one. Yeah, they're number one now. Xiaomi's number two. Huawei and Samsung and then Lenovo. Send me that URL. Paste that. Paste that out. Yeah. And then yeah. paste it so I can forget to put it in the show notes. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> um I I think that's interesting. And I think it's, I talked to somebody years ago and I know it's, it's hyperbole because it's, it's like the opposite, but the gist of the argument I heard a few years ago is that there's no such thing as emerging markets. That that's, it's at least from Apple's perspective, there aren't, there's people who can afford to buy Apple products and there's people who can't. And yes, they're the, the distribution is not the same from country to country. Um, but that all sorts of other things change from country to country, you know, and that people in Germany buy products for different reasons than people in France, even though Germany and France are like economically peers in terms of like income and stuff like that. But that in Germany, I, I, and I could be, you know, I could be getting this wrong. This might not be right, but it's, you know, like maybe in Germany, it's like, it's a lot more important that if everybody you work with uses this brand that you would use that brand too. Whereas in France, it's more of an individualist thing. And maybe if you notice that a lot of the people you work with use the Apple phone, that it'd be make you more likely to buy a Samsung phone to be different. Because it's cultural different, you know, mm -hmm. but that the economic differences are just another factor in this incredibly different, you know, difficult matrix of what is going to sell where. But that the fact that there's billions of people in China and that their overall average income is actually pretty low. And a lot of them, by U.S. standards, it's incredibly low. Like it's not possible for them to buy an iPhone doesn't mean that they need to cater to that market to, to survive. And I, yeah. I think I, I think the thing I saw, and again, I could be wrong on this, but it makes sense to me, is that there's more millionaires in China than any other country in the world. Maybe I'm wrong about that. It could still be the United States, but I'll bet that it's if it's not number one, it's number it's two. It's probably getting pretty close, yeah. Right. Yeah, and the, I mean, their middle class is, is ballooned, uh, which is one of the things that Tim Cook talked about on the conference call. Right. Just so, they're, you know, they're that's... That's the perfect kind yeah. of people that Apple Apple sells to. And I, you know, I, I don't think Apple sees the future. I think you talk to people at Apple, they, you know, they make good educated guesses, but then they look and then they adjust, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, clearly, you know, like one of the adjustments is clearly that they got caught a little flat footed on the big screen trend with smartphones. And it, it actually goes back to what you, we and I were talking about in the first hour of the show on production. And how do they produce this amazing number of iPhone six and six pluses the soon right out of the gate, the first day that they're supposed to be available? Well, one of the ways they do that is they kind of started the train on that like two years ago, like this year's iPhone was started two years ago. And, you know, next year's, you know, the one that there's the brand new phone, there's some team somewhere at Apple starting work on a brand new iPhone right now. That's not coming to market for another two years. And so if the trend towards big iPhones became evident to them too late, there's no way to catch up quickly because it, you know, you can more or less tell yeah. when they decided that they needed to make a bigger iPhone because it was about two years before the iPhone six and six plus came out. <laughs> um, so they definitely follow trends like that. But I think overall though, they're very, very 
you know, it's a going where the puck is going to be by staying high end in right. China than going low end. Right. Because it's, it's, there's so much economic growth there in that country. Yeah. But do you, so do you think long-term that they would, they would go further down scale though? I think eventually As, they'll have to, I think, because it's just the inevitable way that all computers right. go. Like eventually it really will go good enough. I mean, I mean, just look at the Mac, like, I mean, we're talking about on the scale of, uh, wow, I'm really st starting to get bad at math. 31 years, right, for the <laughs> Mac. So the Mac is a three-decade-old product. Um, and it's still relatively high-end. Like the cheapest Mac you can buy, the 899 MacBook Air, is pretty expensive compared to PC laptops. Um, but the idea of an $899 Mac laptop, <laughs> I mean, go back yeah. 15 years, yeah. and that right. is crazy town. That's, yeah. you know, I'm talking about a very long scale, at least five, six, seven years, you know, that at some point there's going to have to be new iPhones that are at a lower price. And there still might be an iPhone Pro. I mean, call it whatever you want, like the MacBook Pro. Um, but I think the price on that is going to have to come down eventually, too. Right, it's it's not going to be an seven hundred, eight hundred, nine hundred dollar device for you know forever. Mm -hmm. Just the way that like a high end MacBook used to cost you know five thousand dollars, six thousand dollars. Yeah. Routinely spent twenty five hundred. I mean, I think it it's like that was like for a long time. Yeah. That seemed to be what I was spending on. <clears throat> Power books mostly, yeah, probably back then. And I, you know, again, this could be like a ten-year thing, easily, maybe even more. Again, the Mac is thirty years old. It took a long time for the Mac to have a laptop that was, you know, really consumer-friendly price. But the, and there's so much technology that can still improve. Battery life can still go, you know, make an ordinary, you know, we, you know, wouldn't it be nice to have a an iPhone that only need to be charged once a week? The camera can improve tremendously. I mean, it's all sorts of things can can improve like that, but. uh Eventually, I think it's got to happen. And I battery list, battery list, never going to get better if they keep using eighty cent batteries. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine how great your battery, your iPhone battery, would be if they put it if they put Just, a five dollar battery in there. <laughs> <laughs> One of those five dollar batteries that you buy buckets of. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> Come on, Apple. <laughs> uh, last thing I can think of is Microsoft had a ton of announcements. Oh, yeah, that's right. That the Build yeah. build Conference, uh, which I guess is ongoing as we record. Mm -hmm. um, and in typical everybody but Apple fashion, they spread them out over a couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> uh, They're still doing the keynote, I think, right? Yeah. Uh, well, I think they have like, but I think started yesterday morning. They always have. Oh, see, I thought it was two keynotes. You're saying it's one keynote. <laughs> I think it's the I think it's the same one. Yeah. Um, uh, so highlights is they announced a a two initiatives. One that you can cross compile iOS apps for Windows 10, um, which I think is I think is mainly about games. I don't, I'm not going to say that, but their example, they was like Candy Crush Saga, um, including, you know, like Objective C. It's like, so it's like a way to write Windows apps in Objective C, which is, again, I'm not a Cocoa programmer. I never have been, but I've, you know, uh, to go back to the, like the next era. <laughs> I mean, and famously, there was a, like part of the contention, like when Next was, this is the thing that I thought of with that. It's not even about Apple, but go all the way back to Next. Um, 
and again, this is all detailed. I knew this story, but it was detailed in the, the Becoming Steve Jobs. Next needed productivity apps, and they didn't have the big ones. And so the ones that they did have were all written for Next by, you know, they were like in Next's little island, and there was no Microsoft Office for Next. And they needed it for, you know, whether it was for marketing or whether it was for file compatibility. And and Bill Gates's uh, quote was, develop for it, I'll piss on it. Or something like something to that effect. Something, yeah, right. Some I kind of bodily function on an, on the next computer. <laughs> um, he had so little interest in doing it, and you know, and to to think that now in 2015, Microsoft is, and again, it's not quite the same thing as developing, you know, for it. Although, you know, also Microsoft has an awful lot of iOS apps that they make, and yeah, you no, know, they they've done a lot, and they're still writing Mac software and stuff like that. They, you know, they're. Mm. Uh, a ton, a ton, ton, ton of iOS apps. So but they're real. I mean, they're much more a cross-platform company. Now. Yes, definitely. But it's just crazy to think that they are supporting Objective C, which it was yeah. like the nichiest of niche app programming languages. But the irony, <laughs> the irony too that struck me though is that Microsoft is get, going after mobile developers to support Objective C, exactly when Apple is like ten months into a of long-term push to move everybody yeah. to a new language, Swift. Yeah. Well, I wonder if they had that lying around. I don't know. Microsoft just is really, like, that's the sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, we're going to do that now. That's the sort of thing that they're really, really good at. I mean, it's, you know, their developer tools team is probably the best in the world, you know, mm -hmm. and good compiler engineers and stuff like that. And then they also have a, a Android thing. But the Android thing, I think, as my understanding, again, it's a, a it's been a busy couple of days, but my understanding with Android support is that it's more like a runtime compatibility. It's a runtime, right, right. When you say to me runtime compatibility layer <laughs> on, well, number one, as a guy who first and foremost cares about the UI and the responsiveness, I Ugh, yeah. think gross. Uh, right. But then the other thing that occurs to me is in today's world, everything, I mean, what are we, what are we using that's not plugged in? I mean, everything is wireless now, right? Even uh, goddamn the new MacBook is meant to be used without being plugged in. Uh, you say runtime compatibility layer, and I hear battery. You can just watch. Hear a, hear a, you hear a fan running. <laughs> you could just, <laughs> if you turn on the percentage meter, you can just watch the, the one digit move. Right, sixty nine, sixty eight, sixty seven. I've got a minute, a minute and twenty seconds to play this game. Yeah. I, I just, and I know that again, they're good. They have really good engineers at Microsoft, but it just sounds to me like a terrible idea. Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, it's all. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they used to try and get Apple to do that kind of thing too, right? And. It just never seemed like a good idea because what you what you want is people coding directly for your your platform, yeah. Instead of oh yeah, we'll do you as an afterthought because we already we already coded deliberately for somebody else's platform. But I mean, in terms of like for mobile apps, I, at this point they'll take what they can get, I guess. Well, and it also the other thought that popped into my head was the same way that Sony is making twenty bucks a pop on Samsung and iPhone uh, sales with the yeah. cameras. That Microsoft, while they're losing money on the Windows phones that they're making and selling with the Nokia thing they bought, they're making money on every Android phone with all the patent licensing deals that they've <laughs> that they've uh, forced. Right. Uh, you know, and according to the law, rightfully so. I mean, I, I, you know, again, we 
patent show would be, you know, a whole nother two hours, but, um, but they're making a nice little tidy profit every year on, on Android phones. Right. Makes you wonder. It was like 10, it was like at one point they said like $10 a device or something crazy like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. Serious money, you know, especially yeah. given that the, the way that, uh, that Android is much more about quantity of units rather than quantity of, of, or, you know, price per unit, like Apple yeah. says. Yeah. Right. Like you'd rather have $10 per unit on Android in Western countries, um, than have $10 per unit on iPhone sales. Like iPhone, you'd want like a percentage, whereas Android, you want something like that, like a $10, you know, flat fee could be a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and I'll tell you what else is looking cool. I think that the hollow lens thing is really starting to look cool. The, the, I thought it looked cool to begin with. It, it's just like the only thing is that it's not, it's not a real product yet. No, and it still has again. It's still no price, no availability date. Yeah. But in the right. time since, but, they, but they're showing it. The, the thing is, they're showing it again. It, well, and it doesn't require the backpack anymore, right? Like when they showed it the last time, it had like a some kind of uh, not a backpack, but it, you know, it had a piece that wasn't just on the your thing. head that yeah. was connected to it. You know, and and now it's entirely on your head. Like they've made significant uh, gains in terms of you know how practical it would actually be. Again, you know, who knows what they're even thinking about the price, but right. Um, and I think it looks really cool, and I can totally see uh, wanting it. To tie this in with yeah. the beginning of the show, my big worry is that this Hololens thing is going to be so totally cool, and is so totally not going to work with uh, with one bum eye. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. I, I I was talking to another friend who has a not this retina detachment, but just a weird eye problem in one eye. Sim- similar situation to me, where it's one eye just it doesn't see so good and may not see so good ever again. And that we're both uh, sort of like been looking forward to like VR our whole lives and might be missing out on any prospect of good stereo VR. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, I think it looks super cool. And I have to say, I to me, that is the golden goose in their development pile. Like, there's something there that could be a hit product. Well, I really hope it is. You know, I mean, and, and like I said, I'm glad that they're showing it again and that it wasn't just something that they trotted out to be like, hey, we made a big splash and now we're just going to kind of forget about this thing. I mean, and even if it's, you know, well, who knows? It's like sometimes you make a cool platform and you never know where it's going to go, right? Like the iPhone, people use it, you know, people use iPads in hospitals and in universities and it's stuff like that. And other people use it to read books and play games and whatever. Like I could see this being that sort of thing where some people buy it so they can play Minecraft on their tabletop, which really does look cool. Like the demo that they show, it looks amazing. I could see it like being an amazing gaming device, but I could also see it being used in a really serious way, like, in a factory floor so that, you know, somebody who's mm-hmm. working, assembling something can get this real time display. And, um, uh, I always see people pop up, like, how can you say that this is cool? And you, you shit all over Google glass all the time. Uh, and I, it's like, I, I can't believe I have to explain it. It's like the idea of a heads up display is an idea and nobody has ever said that's a bad idea. Google glass was not uh, the idea of a heads-up display. Google Glass was the exact Google Glass thing that they made, which was ridiculous and stupid. <laughs> right? And I just know that these people, like when somebody, whether it's Microsoft with this HoloLens or somebody else who's got a secret thing, and somebody's going to make a heads-up display that is cool, and people say it's cool, and these Google Google fans are going to be like, you know, call, <laughs> calling hypocrisy. And it's like, no, 
You know, it's completely different. It's a very different product. Right. Criticizing a specific product is not criticizing a product category or a general idea. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think Microsoft has done every, you know, it 12 different things better than Google glass. Like they're yeah. not making something that they're proposing that you're going to wear all day. Let's start with that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I've seen people who said, well, you know, you, you know, Google Glass, you'd wear it. Why not, you know, wear it if, you know, like the factory floor thing. Well, then if that's your case, if you're working, why not make it bigger? Why just have this little odd thing up in the corner? Why not do like what Microsoft is doing and give yourself a big full field of vision? Yeah. You see the apps they have I, too? They've, they've written it so that, um, and it's, to me, this is very, I, I'm not quite sure how this works, but their universal apps work literally on every product they have, like from a desktop PC to a phone and to this HoloLens. So like if you write like a Twitter client, you can have like the same Twitter client that runs on your phone and runs on your, on your laptop would also, like if you had this HoloLens on, you could project it on your wall. Well, you wouldn't oh. project it on your wall. You'd see it on a wall or something. Yeah, right, right. It's interesting. It's a very, it's a sort of Xboxy kind of thing. Yeah, like a, like a new Xbox sort of thing. And how they're they seem to be like when they when they started doing the Xbox, they bought Bungie and Halo was the big centerpiece. They're they're not exactly doing this with with Minecraft, but they're definitely you know they're they're speaking to a whole generation of people. You know, much younger than like our kids by plugging that plugging that into this device and i think you know i mean like i I haven't even shown my son that yet because he'll he'll freak out (laughs) yeah jonas he'll want want one immediately yeah jonas has seen it and it's um it's already like on the christmas list and i'm like trying to explain (laughs) what a prototype is and i'm like remember that time i told you about the cars at the car show how they're never gonna be so and then i don't think you were listening to me and he's like yeah well when's it coming out and i'm like i'm telling you i don't know that (laughs) I don't know. And I think growing up in an Apple focused household has also when you see, yeah, right. When you see something, you know, it's available, right. It's going to be going to be available shortly. Right. And you know, like the longest one in his lifetime is the watch and the watch that is shipping now, or hopefully, you know, hopefully shipping, uh, is pretty much 98.9% what they showed back in September. Yeah. It's very, very, very similar. All right. He did. He did. Did he get? He didn't get his yet. No, he did not. No, only okay. the one ship. Okay. And as far as I know, like I said, as far as I can tell on Twitter, I haven't done deep research, but as far as I can tell, nobody who ordered thirty-eight millimeter space black or space gray, whatever you call it, got one. Hmm. Like the ones, like oh, yours, really? the forty-two has. But as far as I can tell, okay. thirty-eight millimeter space gray has not shipped. Interesting. And I can definitely. Well, I, it's a good thing I didn't because I almost ordered thirty-eight. <laughs> well, you wouldn't have it yet. Good thing I didn't do that. I'll say this. I, we should wrap up. But I, I will say this yeah. with, with uh, I have the 42. I've been wearing the 42. Um, and I, I asked it, you know, when for the review unit, they asked me which size I wanted um, without trying it on. It was like before I was there for the briefing. So I didn't get to. I'm sure that if I had said, hey, this looks ridiculously big. Can you give me a 38 that they could have accommodated me? But and I think I'm happy with the decision. And honestly, it, to tie it all back with the beginning of the show, part of it is my eyesight. I'm actually, you know, I find the 38 mm-hmm. a little harder to read. Um, yeah. Well, that's and that's what I was. That's what I was told because I was heavily leaning 38 because my wrists are not <laughs> are not huge, and I was really and I've always had smallish. I've never had you know like not. Um, I've always had smaller sized watches, and 
I didn't want some big clunky thing because I had tried on it. Like a friend of my wife's has a Motorola 360. Yeah. And so I tried on hers and it was just like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. It's nothing like that. It's so huge. Yeah. And so I was worried about it. Um, but I, I'm, but I was told like, okay, battery life might be a concern. And then also the screen, screen size is actually, you kind of want something that's a little bit larger. So uh, there's a benefit to it anyway. And so I went 42 and I'm, I'm quite happy with what I got. But I tried Amy's 38 millimeter with the Milanese on and it looked perfect on my wrist. Looked just fine. Yeah. Did not look dainty. Didn't look the least bit feminine or whatever. Yeah. And I've met. Well, that's the thing. It's not, I mean, they're, they're the same damn watch. I mean, yeah. they're, you know, other than the size, there's, it's like, it's not like one doesn't have flowers all over it or something. No, like well, just, but there's also like a, a different size. size. It could be too small though. It really could. Uh, and I wrote about it. I suppose. Yeah, I suppose. But. If you have really small wrists, I don't think, I mean, there's no, I don't think yeah. there's a real, I don't think there's a real problem getting the 38, but yeah. I, I was perfectly happy with the 42. Yeah. I think 38 is like a regular man sized watch, you know, yeah. it, it, in an, uh, not in the modern world where these watches are really big, but like going back a long time and that on most women, it's going to look like a large woman's watch. It's a regular mm-hmm. man's watch or a large woman's watch. And the 42 is sort of a slightly large men's watch. Um, yeah. but did you see, you know, Mike Rundle, he's like a designer type guy on Twitter, but he had yeah. a, a post on medium where he complained that it's way too small. Like that's how small oh, the 42 really? millimeter Apple watches is, is that there's some people <laughs> with good taste, you know, but, and who are used to the, to the current watch market who, who, right. who seriously, and I think correctly argue that it's too small. Yeah. Some people, well, some people really do like large watches. Right. Yeah. I honestly, I, I, I don't <laughs> No, I don't either. I, I think it's a weird trend. I don't really, you know, same way. I don't like the large phones, but yeah. Right. I don't like, it but there's nobody, <laughs> nobody is arguing about the, any other smartwatch on the market to date that it's too small. No, <laughs> I don't think there's any way. All right. John Maltz, people can get okay. all the Maltz they want, uh, <laughs> at very nice website.net. Yep. Uh, they can listen to the dulcet tones of your voice. On oh, how yes. many podcasts now? Oh my God, three now. All right. So I have uh, The Rebound with uh, Lex Friedman and Dan Morin uh, talking about technology. I have Turning This Car Around with Lex and John Armstrong talking about parenthood. And then I have the Speedy Aerocast talking about the Aero TV show with our good friends Guy English and Dan Morin. Never heard of either of those guys. That's good. Yeah, right. It's not familiar with their work. <laughs> not familiar with their work. <laughs> if I ever meet Guy English, I'm going to touch him.